clear to enter. Welcome to Pizza Planet. Welcome to Pizza Planet, a Pixar podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Garrett. And, and we're, we're your delivery, delivery guys. guys. Bringing you a square box of round, hot, cheesy Pixar goodness. Mm-hmm. We've got a bounty of slices in today's feast, so let's dig in. Welcome back to Pizza Planet. It's Gareth. It's Ben. We're your pizza delivery guys. Oh yeah. What's on the menu today? Uh, today <laughs> <laughs> is not pizza that's on the menu. Oh. It's actually a, it's actually a, what do they call it in the movie? A peasant dish? A French I Yeah, I assume, it, I assume it originates in France because that's where the movie takes place. Mm. So wait, so what's on the menu today? Oh, uh, ratatouille. Oh, yeah. The, the dish. Oh, we're just talking about the dish today. Yeah. Okay. No, we're talking about the, <laughs> we're talking about the movie. No, uh, I actually have never done a deep dive on ratatouille the dish. I probably should. I did learn recently, though, a friend told me it is a, like, vegetarian dish, like, like, literally. Like, it's just vegetables. That's pretty uh, much all it is, I'm pretty sure. What about them pepperonis, man, that you see in there? See, they, they look like pepperonis, but I think they're actually, like, sliced zucchini or something like that. Uh, um, yeah, they're not meat. Uh, yeah, this is this is a movie where I'm sure all of our listeners are going to agree. This is either a movie where you're like, yeah, it's pretty good, or... You absolutely love it. Yeah. You live and breathe this movie. <laughs> like, the fans of this movie, like, who, who, who put this movie at the top of their Pixar list, they're like, yeah. they're like the people who put it, like, way up there and yeah. go crazy for it. Like, this is it's just a movie that's very easy to be passionate about. Yes, yeah. That's a, I was in that boat for the longest time. Um, Ratatouille was my number one. Until we did the Finding Nemo review. Yeah. Yeah. So before we break down this movie, because that is what we are doing, we're not we're not going to uh, just talk about this movie fleetingly. We are going no deep, deep into this movie. This is gonna be this is gonna be a full breakdown. So break a, break a breakdown. to get things started, let me throw some info, uh, do a little info dump for you, Ben. Hit me. Um, so this movie was directed by Brad Bird. He was the, the director of both Incredibles movies and the Iron Giant. Hey, that's not a Pixar movie. Yeah, which hopefully someday we can uh, talk about. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the credited co-director of this movie is Jan Pinkava. And he's the guy who directed Jerry's Game. Now, mm. I, I learned something interesting while researching this. So I think a lot of people generally know this. But for anyone who doesn't, um, the film actually started as Jan Pinkava's story. This was his idea that he started developing at Pixar. And Bob Peterson was at one point going to co-direct the film. Mm. But Pinkava left... Pixar in 2005, um, and so Peterson jumped over to Up's production, as we know he co-directed Up. Um, So that left this movie needing a director, and so Brad Bird had 
finished Incredibles, and so he stepped up. So he really picked up where Jan Pinkava left off. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to talk about this probably more later on towards the end of the discussion. Um, But I do think it's interesting to note that this didn't start as Brad Bird's passion project. Right. Um, So, yeah, just interesting thing that I learned. Um, But anyways, more stats for you. So uh, this movie has a lot of stars in it, or I should say a lot of actors in it. Um, Some you'll recognize, some you won't. But uh, this movie stars Patton Oswalt, uh, Lou Romano, who uh, I want to note is actually, he's, he's a Pixar guy who works at Pixar. I like how they use their uh, staff sometimes for voices, but you will recognize his voice as uh, the teacher from The Incredibles, who's who's freaking out about the tack. Yeah, right. That's Linguini. Oh, really? And I never never put that together until researching for this episode. Um, Dang. But yeah, Lou Romano. uh, This movie also stars Ian Holm. That's Bilbo from Lord of the Rings. Uh, he he plays Skinner, which I actually didn't realize before uh, doing research for this movie. This movie also stars Janine Garofalo as Colette, um, Brian Denny, uh, Peter Sohn, who you know as Squishy and Socks from other Pixar films. He was also the director of Elemental. He voices uh, Emil and oh, uh, cool. Peter O'Toole. I never realized this either. Uh, is Ego. Uh, Peter O'Toole being the titular Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, wow. Um, and then Brad Garrett and Will Arnett are both iconic comedians who are unrecognizable in this movie. Um, but yeah, this cast has a great blend of like chameleon Hollywood actors and then like really talented Pixar staff who are just really good at voices. Um, so I really like that. But anyways, moving Wait, on. Hold on. So you're telling me... That um, the teacher who goes, coincidence? I think not. <laughs> yes. That is Linguini. Yes. That's crazy. I know. And like, I, I wouldn't have picked it out, but as soon as I realized it, like, I can, I can, I can see Linguini in my head saying, uh, at first there's no tack, but then there is a tack. Like the, that, the <laughs> yeah. whole sequence. I can, I can picture Linguini saying his lines from that whole scene. And it makes sense. Yeah, it's the same voice. That's so cool. Wow. I'm looking forward to talking more about the director swap because I didn't know that. Um, I was curious as to in the credits, it does say that, um, you know, Brad was one of the writers, Mm -hmm. um, which is common to his work. He did did that with... um, he did that with Incredibles. Yeah, uh, wrote and directed. And so um, when I was like, oh, interesting, like he had other writers, like that's interesting. I I feel like he tends to be like a solo guy. Um, so I was like, that's curious that he collabed. So that makes sense why he collabed. Yeah. Um, and finally, some 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 last uh, stats for you. This movie was released on June 29th, 2007. I remember it well. It was right before Transformers came out. <laughs> um, box office... Um, box office wise, this is the 16th highest grossing Pixar movie. Uh, opening weekend was 47 million. Um, the domestic box office was 206 million worldwide, 623. And this budget was only 150 million. Um, only 150 million, guys. Yep. Jump only, change. Jump change. Only 150. <laughs> uh, uh, critics wise, this movie was. Um, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes with 253 reviews, making it 
number 10 out of the 27 Pixar films is the number 10 highest rated. Nice. Um, which is interesting. Now that we're at like 27, that that's kind of like top third almost. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, those are the stats I got for you, Ben. Uh, let's get into the actual movie. Let's do it. All righty. Well, uh, we'll start us off with uh, the opening of the movie. Okay. Well, so one thing I'll note is that the the music score starts right away. I think this is interesting. Mm-hmm. You hear Michael Giacchino's score over the... Wait, it's not pronounced Giacchino. <laughs> yeah, we were wrong. Uh, um, Jonathan Polly, he corrected us. Yeah, what did... What, what, how is it pronounced? Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. Okay. So anyway, sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mike. Can, can, can we can we call you Michael Giacchino? <laughs> yeah, Giacchino. Now that I think about it, Giacchino kind of sounds like a drink you order at Starbucks. But yeah, our, our bad, our our bad, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so anyways, his music starts right away. We see the Pixar logo, the Disney logo, all that. It's mm-hmm. scored over. Um, and then we get into a shot of a television where we get like a huge info dump. Um, there's all this exposition. Um, we learn about the Anyone Can Cook book written by Chef Gusto. Um, and then we we meet Anton Ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this is a little Easter egg that I caught that I've never noticed before. Um, under his name, like he's giving a television interview, yeah. um, they have a nickname dubbed for him. Did you catch it? I missed it. What did it say? So his nickname uh, that is published on this television program is The Grim Eater. Interesting, like like Grim uh, Reaper, yeah, like Grim Reaper, but it's you know eater eater because he's a food critic. (laughs) That's pretty great. Yeah, and so um, this sets up the whole premise that Anton doesn't believe that anyone can cook. Mm, So uh, there's your like film antithesis, I guess you would call it foreshadowing too. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Yeah, that that sequence is really cool and. it reminded me a lot of because um, I just watched The Incredibles recently, mm-hmm. also a Bradbury movie, as we mentioned. Yeah, a similar opening to The Incredibles also features a like television program. Oh, yeah, um, both are like four by three, like small in the frame. Yeah, and then both end with like someone talking, like the TV's going, and then like fades out slowly. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, see, because I'm always trying to draw lines between Brad Bird movies because a lot of them, I shouldn't say a lot of them, he's only directed a few, but some of them have those commonalities. Like, you can clearly look at The Incredibles and see, um, like, oh, he likes giant metal robots, like, attacking cities. Like, he's directed two movies with giant metal robots attacking cities <laughs> that roughly take place in the 1950s or kind of, like, similar to that that uh, uh, aesthetic. And then, like, they shoot, like, lasers, and it's, like, a very um, yeah. similar, I don't know, similar aesthetic. And then that doesn't translate at all to Ratatouille. So I'm, like, looking for those other threads where it's, like, and you just pointed one out. Like talking, like old film talking heads, like 
Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, and I, I wonder if also, like, if it inspired Pete Doctor when he made Up, because Up also has a TV oh. program at the beginning as well. Well, it could so. be, because uh, Bob Peterson hopped over from this production oh, and he's to like, hey. work on <laughs> Up. So maybe maybe that was already in motion when he left, and he was like, hey, maybe I'll take a page out of this book. <laughs> but the movie uh, opens with... Um, rain on a house in the french countryside remy jumps through a glass window um he's holding a book um and then it freeze frames it does that classic i feel like this is like every i don't know like (laughs) teen sitcom or teen comedy like intro where it's like i bet you're wondering how i got into this situation it's like a voiceover narration yeah and then it's like well in order to understand this you're gonna have to rewind to like you know (laughs) last month when blah 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 so it it does one of those which it's interesting because normally Pixar doesn't lean on a lot of tropes. Right. Totally. Yeah. But I don't know if this constitutes as a trope or if it's just, I don't know. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I remember thinking that too with the whole freeze frame tactic has been used. And I want to say in, in animation, definitely too. Oh, yeah. So um, you, yeah, you hear Remy's VO and and just, oh, the movie, it's just the whole movie. It just like, it flows. It's so, it's, it's so artistic. So it just, it just like works for me, but yeah. I will say that like that the voiceover though with Remy that becomes a thread through the movie. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. There, I can't think of too many other examples of Pixar movies that lean on narration. Mm, yeah. It's actually yeah. this movie has quite a lot of um, well placed exposition in mm. it, which I say well placed because normally exposition is something that's frowned upon in storytelling, like like when you do like big info dumps that are like needless yeah. um but in this case i think this movie is pretty like i don't know it's pretty well balanced as far as when it uses those uh those storytelling tools so i don't know we'll, we'll probably get more into that as we go on but yeah it's just interesting to see that this is not not a conventional uh format for a pixar movie and yet it still manages to feel like one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it totally works. It's, it's done very tastefully, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, through that voiceover, we do get more exposition from Remy as he tells us about um, his his special ability to be able to smell ingredients and detect anything from like what's inside food to like it, it has poison in it. Um, yeah, his, and, his fake family is like kind of like thinks it's weird or useless, and then they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, we'll put you to work." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so now he's he's the uh, the poison sniffer. Yeah, for his colony. Um, and then yeah, and then we kind of go into this sequence where Remy sneaks into the house. Uh, he goes into the kitchen for the quote unquote good stuff. This is where we learn that he loves Gusto. Like he sees oh, yes, Gusto on TV. He talks about the the cookbook and everything. And so, um, yeah, there's a there's definitely um, uh, the scene that kind of exists to set up the fact that Remy has, is frequenting this kitchen without anyone knowing. Oh, yeah. um, but then um, we get this really cool. Uh, sequence where we're going to see this again later on in the movie. Uh, and this is another kind of like unconventional storytelling moment where uh, the background drops out as he's eating food and he's detecting flavors. And so those flavors 
are reflected both visually behind Remy using like these dancing screensaver lights and yeah. also music. And oh, you yeah. have Michael Giacchino scoring the taste of each piece of food. Yeah, I'm surprised Tony didn't talk about that scene because that's kind of like pretty amazing that, that Michael was able to achieve that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you can't talk about every single score moment in yeah. every single <laughs> Pixar film when you're yeah. breaking down all the scores. But yeah, like that is that is a definite like highlight moment score-wise. Um for Michael G- Giacchino. Um, but yeah, then we we get the sequence where Remy is talking to Emil and he he scolds him because he's like, uh, we we walk on the same feet that we handle our food with. I thought that was like a really <laughs> funny thing. Yeah, uh, he's like, don't you ever think about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. But he finds a mushroom. Uh, Emil finds some cheese. He's like, this would go great with some rosemary. So... Um, they and they cook it on they cook it on the rooftop and then lightning strikes yes yeah yeah and then yeah, then they like zap and they fall down he's like that was incredible we got to do that again mm-hmm. so it kind of has a uh, what would you call it and then it feels like kind of like a, a zap or electricity or whatever. he's like yeah 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 kind of smoky <laughs> yeah um yeah, I, I I think that scene is interesting because it, it definitely sets up a world that is more so grounded in cartoon, like like then. So normally in Pixar films, I like really like how grounded they are in like reality, and then like the fantastical elements are kind of like I don't know, they they contrast a little bit. Right. But then in this movie. Um, and, and, and a lot of Pixar movies do do this, like when I give it a second thought, but like, I just think it's an interesting thing that it's happening this early in the movie that, um, Remy literally gets struck by lightning yeah. in the first couple minutes of the movie. And you're like, oh, it's going to be that kind of a movie. Yeah. Almost like you get a vibe of like, oh, this is going to be kind of a kid's movie with lots of slapstick humor, like right. violent, like Looney Tunes type humor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of creates some groundwork i think this scene helps establish a tone that makes future moments that are also kind of outlandish more digestible right yeah that's a good point i didn't catch that but you're right there was no it was it raining before that or anything uh yeah i can't remember i I think there's storm clouds and stuff you did say the movie starts out with it raining yeah but that happens later oh yeah that's a good point um but yeah no definitely it it definitely like sets the tone for sure right so then uh remy wants to look for saffron um in the spice rack and um this is how emil finds out that remy frequents the kitchen um we also see um the scene on the television where we reveal about Gusto's death. Mm, this yeah. is also where I think a lot of the most quoted lines from Gusto happen in this little chunk. Oh. Um, Cause this is like where he says like, your only limit is your soul. And um, a lot of like the other quotable moments um, from Gusto. Mm, yeah. But yeah, this is, like I said, this is where Remy first learns that Gusto is dead because the television program is talking about his his uh, passing. And so um, he, he, he wanders into the living room 
because he's like in a trance, like he's in shock. Yeah. Um, learning about his hero's death, and this is how the old lady spots him. Um, and so she gets her shotgun. Yeah, yeah. She and then the the old lady kind of turns pretty savage i mean like mm-hmm. it's like i understand being like spooked out by a rat and like i could see maybe an old lady like just you know firing like a gun maybe once because you're just like spooked and like yeah. you're like oh what did i just do um but she goes to town she's mm-hmm. mowing down her house mm-hmm. um <laughs> and it does make for a comedic scene but it's pretty like intense um and then yeah like later she's like chasing them and stuff so yeah, it's just it's a it's a comical scene, but you're just like, wow, this lady's kind of nuts. Yeah, like I mentioned Looney Tunes earlier, like the scene where she shoots up the ceiling and the chandelier falls, and like then like her her attic is like full of rats, and they're just like it, it's just such a cartoony car, cartoony beat um, that like you know again reminds me of like this is kind of grounding the movie in a reality where. Looney Tune moments are gonna happen. Yeah, totally. It does. I also didn't realize when that happened. Oh, like they were living in her house. Yeah, in the attic. I, I don't know if that was established, or if uh, it was just kind of like. Assumed. I guess it was kind of applied, Im- implied, because every time we see them outside, they're like right next to the house. Right. So, and then when we see them inside, they're in some sort of dark environment. So I guess you can just kind of infer that they're either in the basement or the attic. Yeah, and there's a pretty funny line where her, where I think it's like Remy's dad. Um, does he have a name? I can't remember. Uh, he actually saw in the uh, in the credits. His he's credited as Django. <laughs> Django. <laughs> well, well, Remy's dad, Django. He's like he's like he's like all right, boys. Like we got to get out of here. We got to move. Mm-hmm. We got to jump ship. It's an interesting beat when Remy goes back to grab. He grabs the book, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh wow, that's interesting. That you know. Um, you know, it's it's clearly that means that much to him. Like he's putting his life in danger right, to go back, right? Right. Well, and uh, um, yeah, and like we see him cling to. Oh, we're gonna see. We're gonna see over the next couple of scenes. Like this, this book is his lifeline. Like it, mm, yeah. it's it's very. I don't. I don't even want to call it biblical, but it's like it. It's interesting uh, that a character. It's interesting when a character clings to the ideas of a specific person and you can show that visually yeah um by having there be like this piece of literature for them to physically like you know carry with them and in this case um i think that's kind of beautiful that that remy's um remy's entire world is divided between the rat world and like what they're telling him. And then what this one chef who he saw on television, Gusteau, like has said things that are so radical and so like just shake him to his core that he is like, like it does make me think of those stories you hear about like in other cultures, like you hear missionary stories about people who um, just, you know, they cling to the hope that comes from the Bible, you know, or, or something, some insert your religious text here, um, that people are really, you know, the, the ideas are what they're clinging to, but then they physically, um, they physically attach themselves to the book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, It is really interesting. I hadn't ever really thought too much about the, like, because Gusteau represents himself as this, like, 
this this like um, impersonation in his mind. Mm-hmm. Like you really be- start to believe that it's Gusteau. And then, like every once in a while in the film, like you're reminded, like they even say, like you know, it's like I'm just from your, I'm just from your mind, you know, like I don't know anything you don't and stuff like yeah. that. And and you're, you're like, oh yeah, but like you almost, you almost like forget. And so it's, it's interesting you saying that because you're right, like like he doesn't, he's never met the chef, he's just watched him on TV. Yeah. And but it's it's really amazing how um, how like the power of um, of beliefs, the power of words. Yeah. And um, but yeah, um, that's really cool, man. Yeah. Back to the uh, the lady, um, the old lady. She's now uh, wielding a gas mask. Yeah, what's that <laughs> and for? She, like, well, what? she gases them out. Like she fills oh. her house with uh, with poison gas so that, oh, um, that. Okay. you know any stragglers will get killed. But um, but the rats do escape on makeshift rafts. Um, Rat on rafts. And uh, I have to say, their emergency protocol is pretty efficient because yeah. it's like it's like a few seconds between them getting shot out of their home yeah. to them being like on these like really well organized like like floating vessels that are like there's not too many rats to a vessel yeah and it's like they're they're they clearly have this you know whole escape thing down yeah they've got an escape plan. The, yeah. Do you have your exit buddy? Do they, you have <laughs> your exit buddy? They all had. Well, Remy didn't have an exit buddy. Yeah, no, Remy. So yeah, Remy so fell sad. behind because of the book. So he grabs the book. He uses the book as a raft. But then uh, the old lady is on the footbridge. She shoots at them. I think that it hits the water between them. But that's enough to like Separate create like them, a yeah. space between. Uh, Remy and his dad and so um, as he's going down this you know sewer canal or whatever it is um, they get separated yeah that was a moment where I was like okay this lady is extra savage because she's literally okay the rats are out of her home now Mm-hmm. Okay, why are you still chasing this this poor rat family down this like you know down the river? It's like yeah, that, that's again to your point about the comical things. It's like is that realistic? Like the rats are out of her house; they're not bothering her anymore, and she's still firing. You know, or maybe she's mad of the damage, I guess. But um, anywho, it's just kind of a funny. It's but it's also and leading to this next scene, bro. Okay, like this scene is. So intense, it's uh, with the sewer man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's just like violently getting shook around, like going, like it's like a, it's like a kind of a water roller coaster thing or whatever. This immediately made me think of the movie Flushed Away. Oh, yeah. There's a very similar sequence in that movie. Hey, that's not a Pixar movie. It's a very similar scene in that movie, um, which came out a year before this. And it's uh, also about a rat <laughs> um, who, in that movie, gets flushed away. Interesting. And man. so I feel like back back in the day, I was very plugged in with kind of like, you know, the animated family movies that were coming out each year. And I'm pretty sure I, I clocked that and went, you know, like, oh, well... Pixar is just copying DreamWorks Ardman now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's very interesting um, comparison. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, th- th- this scene is really intense. And I remember thinking that the animation in that um, sewer scene is really like lifelike. Oh, yeah. Um, like the whole movie, obviously, we'll get to is just beautiful. But like that scene, like the way the water 
moves is so good. And what was the year again of this movie again? 2007. I mean, we're talking 07, man. That's incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible? Hey. Directed by Brad Bird. <laughs> oh, Incredibles. Um, yeah, so so Remy, Remy goes through this whole sewer adventure. He eventually, you know, reaches calm water. He crawls up onto the, the ledge or whatever. He's got his book. And this is this is the part that really makes me like going back to like Remy's clinging to this literature, representing him clinging to the ideals of Gusto, mm-hmm. is um, this moment where he could get up, he could explore, he could go somewhere, he could do something, but because his family's not there, he's just given up. Yeah. So he's sitting there reading the book. That's all he's doing. Right. And it's super. I don't know. It's it's very human behavior. Like it makes sense, but it's so interesting to me um, that that's all he's doing. He could be there's so much he could be doing. He could be looking for food. And in fact, this is when Gusto's first hallucinate, or sh- should I say, Remy's first hallucination yeah. of Gusto right. um, mm-hmm. manifests and tries to convince him to go get food. Right. And we know this is a projection of his mind, so I guess in a way, Remy is convincing himself to go <laughs> get food. I will say the um, the scene, the mini scene right before that, where it's the uh, the voiceover comes back of Remy, yeah, and he's talking about he's like, I waited and I waited, oh yeah, and and my my family never came. Yeah, that's my that is definitely my first Pixar feels. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, I, dude, oh my gosh. You're not expecting it because it's like, there's just a lot happening in the movie. Nothing's really been that emotional yet. Um, I don't know, like, you're thinking like, oh, they got separated. Like, like they'll find each other, right? Like, it's you're not really thinking about it too much. But then it's that time lapse of like time passing and, and just like the rawness in, in Remy's voice. And you just see this like poor little rat just like laying there like waiting for his family. It never comes. And it's just like, oh gosh, it pulls in your heartstrings. And um, and you're just like, oh man, Pixar, you're doing it again. And like, how, how are, are, is he going to get back with his family? Like you just, you really relate. And so like once, I don't know, I just feel like when Gusto appears, mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's just like you, I think you really buy it because of his desperation. Yeah. Like Pixar pulls that off in a very short amount of time, but you really feel like this, like he's desperate. You understand why he's not going to look for food. And when Gusto, when Gusto uh, appears, it really feels like this, I don't know, it's lifeline. Like you really, it, I don't know, it makes everything that Gusto is saying that much more powerful because yeah. you're like, he really needs this to yeah. like survive, you know? So Yeah. One one comment I want to make about the visuals. Again, I I didn't expect to keep using this word cartoony, but like Gusto showing up is really I had a surreal moment while watching this movie like where I realized if I pause the movie right now and I were to show this to somebody who had not seen the movie before, they would think that I'm watching like a Saturday morning cartoon because there's like a talking <laughs> rat walking on two feet yeah. next to like a ghost cook and it's literally the most ridiculous visual but like i had to like pinch myself and remind myself like this is genuinely like one of the most well-respected pixar movies it's one of the most sophisticated pixar movies i think oh yeah Yeah. um and it's just so bizarre to me that this is like a visual norm we get throughout the movie (laughs) yeah that's a really good point and that sheds light on i think on, on some of the recent films that haven't done so well 
and they'll have some ridiculous concepts that for some reason you don't fully buy. And here is an example of where we buy it. Yeah. And it works, you know? Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, in this scene, uh, Gusto is going to, um, uh, you know, coax Remy back up out of the sewer and into some rooms. Um, but then he, he cautions him not to steal food. He, um, he says, food always comes to those who love to cook. Mm, good line. It's a good line, but I really wonder if there's any like truth behind it, yeah. or if it's just kind of like he, he's just kind of uh, making stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that's the line that happens when he finds the the bread, or no, no that that's next. Well, yeah, like when he finds the bread, he tries to eat some of it, and 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 oh, Remy Gusto scolds him, or- and then tells him, you know, like keep going. Food always comes to those who who love to cook. Which I feel like that statement. Now that I think about it, is like the antithesis of the classic saying, "There's no such thing as a free lunch." Oh yeah. So like, there's no such thing as a free lunch, but food always comes to those who love to cook. I guess in a way that's true because if you're willing to cook, you're willing to work. Yeah. So, and that's that means what you're getting isn't free. So maybe maybe it is a true statement. Yeah, I think I think it's true, but it does sound kind of kind of like um like no like you can you can love cook all you want, but you know like if you're if you're like poor or whatever that can be tough. But um but no, I, I do think it, there's truth in it, and um I was watching it with Sarah, my wife, and she she literally said out loud. Just eat the bread. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I can understand that. So honestly, like, it does show a lot of Remy's character by denying the bread, you know? like Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I kind of get it because, well, he's a rat. Like, in in the world we live in, he's a rat, and he's touched the bread. We don't want the bread anymore. You can have it. You've touched it, right? But in this world, this is where, you know, rats are so super smart they're super intelligent i mean they're intelligent in our world too but like this is like a a rat that understands human speech and um and has a moral conscience so yeah, yeah. it's a little bit different but yeah it really shows his character and 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 it and i think it works with his character too because of like with where his family like they just like eat trash and stuff mm-hmm. and he's like he's like no like you have to like put good things into your body and like be creative and stuff and so that that checks out with like denying the bread because he's like no i want like the real stuff um but it's but yeah that a lot of character um a lot of character points go to him to turning that down yeah um i also want to point out this is this is coming up on a really funny scene um so we see this out of context struggle between a man and a woman that remy just kind of like passes by he's he's just kind of like like whatever and like there's like a physical struggle happening remy walks on like ignoring it but then a gun fires and a bullet flies through the ceiling towards remy and remy goes back to look at them and all of a sudden they start making out <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like this is such great subtle humor I don't, I don't know, like, just the the idea that there was probably, like, a feature-length movie that happened preceding that moment. Yeah. And without that, you know, 90 minutes of context, 
this just moment made absolutely no sense to Remy. It made absolutely no sense to the audience, and that's what's great about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it plays a lot on like on like the uh, the, the French like romanticism that you see in movies, mm-hmm. and uh, and we see that again later in in like a a, a scene on a TV oh. with a French movie. So I, I feel like it's been kind of playing that. Um, the city of romance. I don't know. Is that yeah. Paris? Is that, is Paris called the city of romance? I don't know, but I've heard that it's very like, it's known as like, this yeah, it's, place. it's, yeah. it's definitely known for being romantic, but I want to say there is a specific city in Europe called the city of romance. I could be wrong. I did zero research on this and I believe it's Paris, mm. but well, there is a line that we hear shortly about, I think it's, it's like something like, all the best things happen in Paris, or whatever the line is. Yeah, something, something <laughs> steamy. Um, so then, what? So then he, so then he, he th- but then after that, he passes by. He sees a shadow of a dog. Did you see this? And it was it, it Doug. It looks exactly like Doug. Hold on. Wait. So Doug was cameoing in this movie. So it's his silhouette, and it looks exactly like Doug. So I mean, that would make sense. Bob Peterson voiced. Doug, yeah, and co-directed up, and if he was working on this movie early mm-hmm. on in production, that very well could be his, uh, like, well, either his contribution or it could just be an homage to him, right? Yeah. So that's interesting, but uh, but yeah, shortly after this, Remy discovers he's actually been in Paris this whole time, um, and he's right next to Gusto's. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's that. So I wrote down that like. So the shot of Remy climbing up, looking out, and seeing Paris that he's there. Like, um, yeah, that revealing shot is so breathtaking. It's just such a. It's such a classic. Like I. I feel like when you see like, um, like there's so many video essays on on Ratatouille, but also like Pixar film, the classic like age of Pixar. And you always see that sweep sweeping shot. And uh, yeah, it's just like, it's such a, such a perfecto moment there. And um, mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah. W- w- what did you think of that? Like when he sees that he's in Paris, he turns over then, then, then the reveal is of Gusteau's mm-hmm. and that he's like oh, this whole time. Um, like, what did you think about that? Do you think that's kind of like, again, one of those moments where it's like too good to be true or, that's a great question. I buy it. I don't know. Because this movie, again, I think it's doing a lot to set up that, hey, we know that this premise is far-fetched. Right. We're just here to tell a good story. Right, yeah. And I think to tell a great story, you need to be, you know, you you need to make compromises when it comes to, like, how you how you move the story along like whether it's necessary like would it have been necessary for Remy to like go through an extra two minutes of exploring Paris before he found Gusto's? Sure, that might have been more realistic right. when like if if he came up was like oh I'm in Paris I should go to Gusto's and then he montage of him searching Paris for Gusto's he finds it, but this almost adds a layer of um i don't want to call it supernatural but it's like destiny it's like this movie is about the impossible like where we're gonna go in this movie is gonna be so unbelievable that we want you to be like completely bought into the fact that remy's destiny is 
this restaurant. And right. so yeah, that's a good point. And so if if we had Remy be the one to take himself to Ghost Gusto's, you might lose some of the audience when it comes to the ridiculous places where it goes later on. But by having him appear right next to Gusto's, the audience is now invested in oh, this rat is supposed to be here. Right, totally. And and everything is still stacked against him. Mm-hmm. Like the whole movie, like, yeah, like the odds are still against him. So there's plenty of stakes. There's plenty of obstacles. Yeah. So it's still, yeah, it still works. Yeah. And and it's not like him appearing right next to Gusto's is even any easier. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's a rat, right? He's a yeah. rat who wants to cook like... Yeah. Not going to happen. Let's just get to the cooking, <laughs> which is next. So yeah. he goes to Gusto's and uh, we kind of skip, uh, we skip what it, what is the word perspectives um, in the movie. Again, this movie does a lot with unconventional storytelling. So this movie has more than one protagonist. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Remy arrives, we switch from Remy's point of view to Linguini's. And so this is where we meet all the human characters. So Linguini's showing up. Skinner is there, Chef Skinner. Um, we meet a whole host of, of chefs, sous chefs, all the different chefs, whatever they're called. Yeah, all the um, I, I apologize to anyone who's offended that I just <laughs> said whatever they're called. The chef staff, the, the cooks, I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the staff, we'll just call them the staff. Um, and I want to point out one of my... One of my quotes from this movie that I really think is 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 well delivered. It's not so much the quote, but it's the delivery. Uh, there's this moment where, uh, you know, there's this whole exchange where Linguini's like, I'm here for a job, and, you know, my mom is my reference, and Skinner's like, you know, like, who the heck are you, blah, 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 blah. And then Horst, which is the character voiced by uh, Will Arnett, who's, like, my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> he's great. He's uh, he's just so blunt. And so when uh, Skinner asks, like, you know, like, he's, he's questioning the, yeah. the, the context of why Linguini's there. Yeah. And then so just very bluntly, Horst is like, she died, like referring to Linguini's mom. And yeah. so it's it's this moment of of uh, just <laughs> showing his character to be um, comically blunt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's so great. Yeah, and so basically, so so um, I want to say there's another staff member that says that like um, like oh yeah, like Gusto knew. Linguini's mom, like they were mm-hmm. friends, and so any friends of theirs is friends of yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's how that's how Linguini ended up at the restaurant. Is uh, his mom was close with Gusto. His mom is now dead, leaving Linguini in need of a job, and so he's calling in a favor with his mom's old flame, or at least the the establishment that you know was left behind by by his mom's old flame. Um, so it's, it's kind of a complicated situation. Um, I, I feel like at this point in the movie, if you're an adult, you might see the writing on the wall, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember my first, I, I, first time I watched it, I don't remember, I don't remember knowing that until like the letter, letter later, which we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, I well, sure, you know. yeah, we won't say any spoilers now just in case. <laughs> just, no, I'm kidding. You, 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 if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the movie before. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if we've established Remy is a rat, by the way, <laughs> if you've never seen the movie before and you're just listening to us talk about it uh you may or may not have caught on to that <laughs> the, 
main character is a rat. Also, Linguini's not not a noodle. And he's not a rat either. He's not a rat he's or a, a human. noodle. Linguini's yeah. a human. <laughs> a non-noodle human. Although he looks like a noodle. He does kind of move like a noodle too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awkward. It's so it's so great. He pulls off the awkward character so well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, so this is uh the sequence where we see Skinner get really upset um that the staff hired Linguini. Um it, you know, again, it's as a personal favor to his mom. Um but then they're just like, "Hey, we just hired him as a garbage boy. Don't sweat or whatever." And then Skinner's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> mhm. And while Remy is identifying the different kitchen roles um, to ghost Gusto, so he's like watching from the roof and he's like pointing out like all of his his uh, kitchen knowledge um, to his uh, hallucinated hallucinated ghost Gusto. Mm-hmm. Um, he dismisses Linguini as unimportant um, before they witness him spill the soup that is you know simmering off in the corner of the kitchen where nobody's working. Um, he spills to the soup um, and then attempts to refill it with water um, and then starts adding ingredients, trying to recreate it. Um, and Remy is absolutely appalled by this. Mm-hmm. Um, so while Remy is kind of freaking out, he falls through the roof uh, window um, into one of the uh, uh, dishes sinks um, then yes. he s- scurries out onto the kitchen floor, um, and he's trying to get to the soup. And this is like the classic sequence. I feel like this is this is an iconic moment where Remy's gonna get to know the kitchen um, while it's active, and like people are cooking, people are are walking around, they're almost stepping on him, yeah. Um, and he's like dodging things left and right. Um, yeah, it's a very like chaotic and it's all like super cool POV, like mm-hmm. a lot of one or like one long shots, mm-hmm. tons of stuff happening. It's yeah, it's super immersive. I really love that. Montage. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a moment where he, um, he gets on the, the waiter cart and he actually goes out into the dining room. So the, <laughs> yeah. again, this is like, this is a, like a crucial sequence because it's establishing the space that the rest of the story is going to take place in. It's kind of yeah. like giving you the lay of the land. So it, let Remy get to see the dining room. Right. Um, and that's our first Ratzenberger catch, by the way. Yes. Um, I think his name is Gustava, wait, waiter Gustava, okay. or something like Gustava, something like that. Um, he's uh, um, doing, again, like all these actors are unrecognizable in their roles. He's doing a French accent, mm-hmm. obviously, and... Uh, yeah, I might have been one or two times that I watched this movie before I caught that that was actually John. Yeah, there was one line I think like towards the middle of the film where he like opens up the door and he like bursts burst out a line and Sarah actually recognized it. And, oh yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right because I I kept thinking like, what is who is that? Like that yeah. sounds familiar, but he does a really good job of masking it. And yeah, there's that fun part where he reaches down underneath the cart to grab oh, like yeah. a sauce and he squeezes Remy and he's like. What was that? He looks down and then you know, Remy's gone. <laughs> yeah. Like if I was in this shoot, I'd have been like, what did I just touch? Like that yeah, no, in a in a in a restaurant, like a classy restaurant like that, that is gross to think about. Yeah. I remember when I first saw this movie, um uh, we had gone to see some friends over the weekend, like like a week later or something like that. Um one of my dad's friends and his wife is is um 
very let's say she's very scared of rats mm. so we were I, I brought up the movie and how much i loved it and she was like i will never watch that movie again um because like rats in the kitchen just made her want to go like basically be sick yeah and um and so yeah i totally get it like people who are scared of rats or like have like you know a- aversions to rodents in mm. in residential places it's just very I get how gross this movie is, but at the same time, I love it. It's like it's humorous and also like telling a ironic story, right? Yeah, and very realistic. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, rats and mice are definitely like your and then in just in homes too. It's like that's your enemy. Like that's the worst thing you could find in your house. Yeah, but yeah. So Remy finally gets to the soup, um, which makes him gag. Um, and actually we see, I think we see Linguini literally put his head out the window and throw up. Um, but Remy uh, throws a few ingredients in to fix the soup. Um, but Ghost Gusto convinces him to stick around a little longer and give the soup a more thorough pass. Mm. So this is like a, a turning point in the movie um, because Remy's about to just walk away. Yeah. But um, because because he, he's made I, I I think the assumption is he's made the soup to a point where he, he's fixed the aspect where it made Linguini vomit. So like I guess it's servable, but he wants to make it a great soup. Right. So, well, um, and even before that, Gusto says, like, now's your chance, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's what caused him like, to, to first... show off what you're doing. Yeah. So, like, that's why this is such a key moment because if he doesn't go back, we we will never know. We as an audience will never know, like, what Remy's actually capable of. Like, right. this is his, his first chance to actually not only cook something, um, like, in a kitchen with all these like, you know, ingredients, like premium ingredients, but like he's gonna potentially have it served to humans. Right. Yeah. This scene in this moment is so big. And I did, I do remember thinking, I was like, I was like, well, we've seen Remy like, um, in the beginning, like the first act, like we see him like doing some cooking. Um, we see him like picking rosemary out of the, um, uh, in the yard and then he, we see him go inside and he knows like about saffron. So he, he like, okay, we, he knows about spices. He, we see him kind of cooking, um, just one or two times. So yeah. we, we have a sense that he, like, he knows how to cook. Right. But we don't quite know that he's this prodigy. I think it works and I think it's believable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, d- did you ever like think of that? Like that, like, oh wow. Like, um, is it believable that he's that good just from the little, time we had with him yes i i think so because the thing is is that he's been cooking for himself this whole time so he is he is taste testing everything he's just not testing on other people um so he is able i think to grasp and i i I guess i would find a little bit unbelievable that he's ever cooked a soup before Hmm. but my understanding now i'm no culinary expert so if you are listening to this and you are a culinary expert um and you start shouting at me <laughs> i'm just pre-confessing that i don't know anything i'm talking about but um my understanding is that soups are relatively easy when it comes to cooking it's more so you know what seasoning you put in it and how you flavor it and how you like um how you uh like the ratios of everything yeah, yeah um but like because it's just 
all wet sitting on a stove top. Yeah. There's not like, you know, you have to cook it for so long and blah, 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 blah. So, so as long as Remy has an understanding of cooking and has seen it done before. Yeah. And, and there's every reason for, to believe that he has because he's spent, you know, who knows how long, how many years he was in, um, the old lady's house watching Gusto on the television and cooking and stuff, cooking and, stuff yeah. while she's <laughs> while the old lady's asleep. So yeah, I think it's believable. Yeah, I, I think it works. I think I think there's a little bit of kind of trying to connect the dots there. Like yeah, the, just the thought of him like cooking countless times in that in that old lady's house like that like satisfies that for me. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that I don't know. That maybe that would have been too much clutter for the film, but that would have, could have been a nice touch. But it totally works for me. No complaints. I'm nitpicking a yeah. uh, a masterpiece here. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no. That um, uh, yeah. So 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 now we we get into this classic scene. Yeah, and I have to say this isn't in my notes, but I'm like in my head thinking about the scene, and I just keep hearing uh, Michael Giacchino's score for this whole mm, sequence yeah. and it's such a good like imagine the meeting where michael giacchino is sitting down with I, I i would assume brad burr and brad's like so i'm going to score this movie and um like it's about a rat that cooks <laughs> and so like setting up the context for this scene like this is such again we've established ki- rodents in the kitchen are gross yeah and so like to make this scene lovable and endearing and like give you an appetite like make you hungry and for this scene to like make you feel like charmed and have like a sense of levity and it's like how do you do that to a scene about a rat throwing ingredients into a like boiling pot and michael giacchino just does it like Mm, there's that that little i don't know what you call it but like a little fluttery riff that's in the score in this moment, in this sequence. Um, I think it's like a flute yeah. that's just kind of just fluttering up and down. And it's just like, it just sounds so, uh, you know, light and breezy. And it's like, like this is my happy place. <laughs> yeah, it's such a beautiful, iconic scene. Like with the way the camera um, is like, kind of like looking down and like panning as he's like, it's kind of like this like time lapse of him uh, throwing in the ingredients and it's kind of like this like these like arcs like the way like those like waterfalls you see in cities oh arcs yeah of like yep, yep. of streams it's like he's throwing all these ingredients in and um yeah by the way we see him like wash his hands to begin with which is oh, so yeah. cute <laughs> yeah and it's like okay sanitary but uh checks out but um yeah so nobody got sick eating his soup I'm, yes i'm i'm sure yeah they, oh they wanted more so um but yeah so we see all the ingredients going in and so cool yeah, it, interesting. I just realized so earlier it establishes that Remy doesn't walk on his his front paws. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, <clears throat> because he's you know you know not wanting to get his paws dirty before like eating or cooking or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so just thinking about that aspect of um, pre production where they realized oh like this is a movie kind of grounded in reality. We're gonna have realistic looking rats like for the most part realistic looking rats um but remy is going to be the one that walks on two legs yeah how do we make that look not creepy right yeah because i feel like that is the challenge is like you have all these other rats who walk on four legs so the moment one of them starts walking erect it is gonna look unsettling right and unnatural but they do they do make remy like somewhat like you know 
realistic looking, but also you don't hate him when he stands up on two legs and yeah. he's walking around. And yeah, anyways, they, I don't know. This is just interesting, I thought. They probably did some character design, like a little bit of engineering, like natural biology to make it work. Right. But it works. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. yeah it definitely, yeah, it definitely looks realistic. Because like when he stands on two legs, often he has like his two paws like in front of him. And it's like you can, you, you've seen rats before, um, like photos of them like standing on two legs where they'll, yeah sit up like that but yeah it's it's uh it's cute and endearing when he does it um but yeah so linguini is the sole witness to this uh he watches remy um cook and then as soon as he's done he catches him under a strainer (laughs) yeah i like that i like that part where it's like uh all of a sudden the the camera reveals that um linguini's right there yeah and and then like R- Remy has like the, the last like a uh, uh, little bit of ingredient to put into the soup, and he just kind of like drops it. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, great. But yeah, yeah. And then and then you're like you're trying to figure out what's going. on. You're like he catches him, and you and you're like, oh, is he going to kill? Like you don't really know what's going on. But then but then you're picking up quickly. You're picking up like, oh, like he's being very careful. Like he's like almost guarding it. Yeah. Rather than like. Yeah, so you get the sense of like, oh, something's going on here. Like Linguini's not like antagonized or uh, oh you know yeah, what I mean? he's not like yeah. after Remy. Yeah, he's not. He's not gonna. He's not. He yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, he he doesn't. He feels confused about Remy. He's not sure. Yeah. Um. If 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 he's supposed to, you know, uh, sound the alarm. Yeah, he's like know? he's like curious and confused. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, so Skinner, uh, well, they serve the soup, and Skinner mistakenly thinks Linguini was the one cooking, so he's like yelling at him, um, but yeah, they they serve the soup, and turns out that it was a critic um, that tasted Remy's soup, and everyone, think again, everyone thinks Linguini cooked it, um, so like all these orders are pouring in for Linguini's soup. Yeah. Um, Colette, uh, who is a character who we, I think we meet her a little bit earlier than this in the movie, but she'll become important as the movie goes on. Um, she leverages the critic's opinion of the soup to defend Linguini. Um, and then, uh, that really outrages Skinner. So there's this awkward moment that I have to point out where Skinner kind of shoves Linguini into Colette's arms. Yeah. Um, and I always feel so bad for Linguini because I don't know. That just I feel like that's like that it's that's a jerk, such, jerk move. <laughs> well it's a jerk move to shove anyone into another person, but like I don't know, doing it to the awkward garbage boy into a woman, like yeah. the only woman in the kitchen. Yeah, it's not I don't cool, know. Huh? It just feels yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, creepy, kind of like yeah, yeah, just yeah, kind of icky. Um, yeah, Skinner's not showing respect to a woman, and he's also not showing respect to the man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if he if he had just shoved him into like another dude, I feel like that would have a completely different vibe. Where Less, it's just, yeah, it's just men tussling and him showing aggression. But right, yeah. So while Skinner is yelling, uh, he spots Remy trying to escape. Um, and so he orders Linguini to go dispose of, of Remy cause you know, rats in the kitchen. Right. So 
So, Ling- again, Linguini is still the only person who knows the secret about Remy. Yeah. And now he is uh, uh, taking Remy in a jar down to the river to uh, dispose of him. Yeah. And so, before we get to that scene, I wanted to say real quick that I kind of had a mini Pixar feels um, for this scene when Colette defends Linguini and saying, like, anyone can cook. Yeah. I don't know why I was not expecting that to hit me, but um, it really hit me because even though they don't know, mm-hmm. like that it was Remy, yeah, like as an audience, like we know, like we know this rat just made this meal, like he's from, like yeah, he he's like comes from from like a hard place. He's just he's just a rat. Like he is, you know, got tossed into this restaurant of his of you know his dreams. Like just such a long shot. And he makes something and everyone loves it. And you're just like, he just did the impossible. Yeah. And, um, and so when that's like spoke, like, yeah, it's just like, it's like he's living and breathing. Remy's living and breathing. This like anyone can cook. And so when someone else other than him, like says it out loud and is, is confirming Remy's belief. Right. Like people have tasted and confirmed that it is like amazing it just like validates him and validates his belief. And like that just little moment, like to me, it was, is, is so beautiful. I really liked it. Yeah. I, I guess I had never thought about that. Like that, um, being like as a Pixar feels moment, but you're right. Like there is a lot of emotional impact from, from Colette, you know, coming to his defense for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so now Linguini's going to bike to the river. Um, and uh, this this scene, I have to say, is brilliantly written because there's this one way conversation between Remy and Linguini, mm. and Linguini realizes that Remy is intelligent and that Remy can actually cook and understand, understand him. And there's him, like yeah. there's this communication that's happening, but no words are coming from Remy. Yeah. Um. So I. Yeah, I just think that the writing, the screenwriting in this in this movie is mwah, chef's kiss, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it is so beautiful. And we should say before we go any further that this was not a problem for me, but did you have any hang-ups about like how that works, like how Remy is able to understand humans? No, um I I guess not cuz in this world it establishes later on that uh, there's a lot of animosity that, um, be, well, I should say because of the animosity that humans express towards rats like vermin, um, rats are 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 averse to communicating with humans. They're they're scared of humans. Yeah. Um. And so there's no reason for them to ever try and reach out with you know a um, an olive branch, if you will. There's there's no reason for them to try and befriend humans. So mm. this is really, I think, a believable first contact given what we're going to, what we've learned so far in this world, and what we're going to learn in this world, where um, humans and rats really hate each other, and yeah. it and it takes a open-minded and desperate man and a very open-minded and very determined rat to to come together and and learn about communicating 
Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. I guess I'm also getting that like just communication wise, like the fact that like the fact that as a rat, he can even, he can even like understand the language of human language, like English. Right. Um, and then we, we do see a scene later in the film where one of the rat is like, Oh, it's with, with him and uh, his brother. Um, when um, they're in the old lady's house and, and I think Remy's speaking and all, all you hear is chirp, 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 chirp. So mm-hmm. we know that the humans, all they hear is is chirping when rats are speaking. But for some reason, when rats hear humans, they don't hear gibberish. They actually hear, yeah. it's intelligible. Yeah. So d- that's obviously another another cartoon kind of like, right. it's not explainable, but um, it is it, it is an interesting. I mean, I, that probably happens in a lot of movies, like mm-hmm. how animated movies with humans but definitely wasn't a hang up for me um i did like again i buy the internal logic of there being an animal that has the ability to understand humans because the only reason to believe that animals can't understand humans um would be if if there is you know you know, like, well, why haven't they talked to or communicated with us before? Like, why haven't they let us know that they understand us? Yeah. Um, but like I said, if this is a world where rats and humans hate each other, then they would have every reason to hide the fact that they understand humans. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is true that in real life, like animals can understand basic words and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it's, so th- there's a little bit of that, but. um, Yeah. Like dogs can, can understand a lot i mean most animals the most intelligent animals can understand a lot of human words we have never been able to understand animal words so it's there's just i think in our world there's just a difference between human speech and animal communication right yeah yeah for sure but you're right yeah this is a very beautiful scene so so yeah so remy is is like nodding and you know shaking his head for the different questions to to, to linguini pose and linguini's like his mind's kind of blown that remy can understand right yeah yeah and uh there's this oh my gosh there's this such a sad moment here oh my gosh this this made me feel stuff um pixar feels not not really pixar uh, okay. feels but like a di- different kind of like like uh, just how tragic this this moment feels to me um, when when Linguini gets so excited he knocks Remy into the river <laughs> and then it suddenly cuts to him like soaking wet. So now we've got like wet puppy vibes from Linguini. Like he just dove into and if you look behind them, that river is rushing. That's not like a creek. That's oh, not like a wow. slow moving river. Um, it is it is fast that tide looks dangerous so he's just probably put his life in jeopardy to save remy and then linguini makes a deal with remy and he's like you're not gonna run away are you and he's like no so then he lets remy out and remy runs away and we just see linguini like break he's soaking wet his hair is like all flat like again he's risked his life for this rat right and he and he like really needs this job, and now now everyone's expecting him to cook, but he doesn't know how to cook. Yeah, right. He's like he scared, all yeah. he wanted to do was be a garbage boy. He just needed a job, <laughs> right? And now he has like this primo job that he's not qualified to do, <laughs> and everything is like his livelihood is leaning on this rat's agreement, and he shows a like inhumane level of trust yeah. in a rat by like yeah. letting it out. Cause like the rat can't talk. So it's like 
in his head this whole time, he's probably thinking, well, I mean, he says it multiple times during the one-way conversation, like, he's crazy. He thinks he's crazy. He's, yeah. he's like, hallucinating, and he's he thinks he's hallucinating. He's, you know, losing it. Mm. So just this moment of brokenness, I can't get over how sad it is when he just turns away and starts to, like, like accept well, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my apartment. I'm going to like lose everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude, that's yeah, it's so it's so good. And then like, yeah, on the flip side then, for me this is this is another Pixar feels. You don't have to play it again. All right, let's cue up that stinger. Uh, <laughs> so is um yeah, then then you know, you see um Linguini, he's he's like all hopes kind of gone and then all of a sudden you hear this pitter patter in the distance mm-hmm. and he, he looks over and there, and it's all like shadows. I think there's like a bridge or something. It's just this, this shadow. And yeah. then you just see uh, into the light, you see Remy emerge and bro. Oh my gosh. I don't even think they say anything. I think it might just be all nonverbal. Yeah. But just the look in Linguini's eyes, yeah. the look in Remy's face like that, the trust that they just have there, like Remy coming back. It's like, dude, oh my gosh. It's so emotional. Yeah. For sure, um, was that was that one for you as well, or was that what Pixar feels? I mean, I have a lot on this I movie. Guess, <laughs> I guess I could say it is. Um, that will, if I do, it'll ruin my hot take for later. So, okay. um, I'm for 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 the for the sake of my hot take later. I'm gonna say no. Uh, <laughs> Come on, man. Okay. Uh, so, so then Linguini ends up taking Remy home. Um, he, 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 and it, it's so cute. He just like shows him around the apartment. And he's like, "Yeah, this is my humble abode. Like, make yourself at home. <laughs> like, this is like my my stuff is your stuff." And it's just so cute. Yeah, it is really good. I had a. I I think I've told you this before. I had a pet rat when I was a kid. Oh, nice. Um, and it was around the time when this movie came out too. I think. Um, so yeah, I just love pet rats and people who have like rats that like sit on their shoulders or that like you know rats can be like pretty affectionate pets and stuff and i don't know there's i think they're cute so just this moment of of linguini taking him home and like showing him around his apartment is like this is this is your home now too (laughs) it's just so cute it is really cute and like i i love that he has a little um, little set for him, little place for him to sleep. And yeah, 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 yeah. Linguini's a really good like. I, I don't know if you call it pet owner because mm-hmm. not really his pet. They're more like friends, but yeah, yeah. No, it's really cute. So Linguini wakes up and thinks that Remy stole his food, um, but realizes that Remy was just making omelets for their breakfast, which is super cute. Yeah, it's so nice, so sweet. Um, but then Linguini scolds Remy for stealing spices. And poor Remy doesn't even get to eat his breakfast. I know. I was like, no, Remy, all that work and got up early and yeah. nothing. Well, and I thought it, for a moment, like watching this movie, I almost forgot that like that comes back later. I thought it was going to be like, you know, the, you know, just a joke that uh, LOL, he cooked all that food and he didn't even get to eat it. Ha ha. But, right. you know, later on, we're going to see he actually is like hungry. Yeah. Um. So uh, the the next scene opens with Colette reading the review um, for Linguini's soup. It is a positive review, um, and Linguini comes to work, um, tries to figure out where to put Remy, 
Uh, there's a moment where he considers putting Remy in his pants. <laughs> But but he enters the kitchen uh, very awkwardly. Skinner welcomes him back by saying, Welcome to hell. (laughs) And uh, he invites him to recreate the soup. So um, Linguini tries to recreate the soup, and Remy bites him from inside his shirt to kind of direct him. Yeah. Um, But... (laughs) He goes into the freezer and opens up his shirt and reveals like bite marks everywhere on his chest and yeah. he's like, "This isn't working." Yeah. It's a really funny scene where like it's like inside of his shirt and every time you see like you see Remy like gets like slapped and then he goes <laughs> like mm-hmm. slap. <laughs> I don't know. Just, yeah, that's it's so great. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So they they, they end up in the. Um, the, what do you call it? The food closet, or the whatever? freezer, or whatever. I, I get, yeah, I guess that's not what it's called. It's not a freezer. It's a like pantry kind of thing. Like the uh, well, yeah, like a temperature controlled space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this is the first time that Skinner sees Remy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because well, Linguini. Re- this is when he realizes he needs food. Remy does, so he feeds him, and then Skinner walks in, or he hears him from outside talking to Remy. And um, he opens the door, and Linguini like very swiftly turns off the light. And by the time Skinner turns it back on, Remy's gone. Oh so yeah, it, it's a pretty great moment. Slide of the hand, and then he, and then we find out that Remy's actually in Linguini's hat, mm-hmm. which which will will work well, right? And they the way I don't know if I've ever clocked this before, but the way they discover that. Um, Linguini is responsive to Remy pulling on his hair, like his re- like basically his hair controls his reflexes. Yeah, um, is because they almost run into the waiter and he does like this matrix move where he like leans back, you know. Yeah, and um, so yeah, that's that's how they make that discovery. Um, so so then they can go home and start practicing cooking with Remy being on Linguini's head. Yes, pulling his hair like a puppet kind of. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Like I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it too much. I mean, that's definitely not like a uh, uh, like a scientific thing. Like, there's no way. Like, if I were to pull on your hair, like you wouldn't raise your arm or whatever. Right. It's obviously a, it's a trick in the movie. So, right. again, is that something that you had any issues with or any thoughts on? Or I think when I initially watched this movie, I was anticipating having a problem with it because normally I'm a stickler for for like far fetched like you know. Thing, things of that nature, but that was not the case. By the end of the movie, it won me over. I think it's just it's so creative, and mm-hmm. um, it creates a good story utility, like for how Remy is going to help Linguini cook. So, right. yeah, it like from a story standpoint, it 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 well, it literally lets the story happen. You know, right? Um, there needs to be a way for remy to be disguised as linguini um and and so that's what the this this function does so yeah for sure yeah and yeah and like yeah for all we know it could be it could be just like a special connection that they have Mm -hmm. or whatever too so yeah um but yeah this is a funny scene because we see a lot of cooking fails 
Um, <laughs> Linguini throws an omelet out the window. Um, he spills everything, including wine, onto his head. At one point, like Remy's like trying to like smell a tomato, so like Linguini's like holding it up, but yeah. then he like squeezes it and splatters tomato all over Remy's face. Yeah, or like the. Um the uh, uh, spaghetti noodles when he's like trying to shake oh, the yeah. box. <laughs> yeah, he, he shakes like, them right out of the box. Like yeah. the, the the funny thing is, is that like I relate to that because like spaghetti is one of the things I can cook, and <laughs> I've done that where I like pour it into the uh, pot, but. I've noted, like, because they're straight, you have to pour them straight down. It's not like a bottle of something oh, where yeah. when you're pouring liquid, you only hold it at 90 degrees. But if you hold spaghetti noodles at 90 degrees, they just fly out, yeah. you know, out of the pot. So Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good... And, yeah, and I, I definitely wrote down that, like, the the comedic um, stuff between Remy and Linguini is just, like, comedy gold. Yeah. You know, like, it's... It's just so funny. They're yeah, there's the whole their whole relationship and all the gags that they do throughout the whole film is so great. Yeah. So yeah, that montage um shows them getting better and better and then eventually shows Remy can now control Linguini even at work um around coworkers. Um so they recreate the soup, Skinner um uh now is assigning him to study under Colette. Um, and it's the scene where she threatens him with knives in his sleeve, and <laughs> yeah. gives him a, a speech about, you know, not, not being, not going easy on him basically. Yeah. She comes off super tough and you're almost like not sure how to feel about her. Um, but then, you know, having already seen the movie, um, I wrote down like this is the most amazing meat cute. Now, technically, they met before, but like if if you really refer to this as like as their quote unquote meat cute, it's yeah. pretty great yeah. <laughs> meat cute. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it is. So so this is also going to be a scene where we see Skinner in his office meeting with a marketing guy, um, and they are introducing a new line of frozen gusto food. Um, so in this scene, we see a uh, bunch of different brands, like Gusto, different food brands or whatever. Burritos um, and stuff. Yeah. Did you, did you catch all of them? No, I didn't. Over all so I paused, I paused the movie and wrote down all the ones that I saw. There might be more than this, but I saw um, Gusto's Barbecue Dippin' Ribs. I saw Gusto's <laughs> Microwave Burritos. I saw Gusto's Haggis Bites. I think is like a Scottish or Irish dish. Huh. Um, Gusto's Chop Saki Pockets, uh, which I think is the new one. I think that's the one that 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 was just launched. Um, and then Gusto's Toothpick and Chicken, which is clearly a reference to KFC. Oh, nice. Um, but then he, uh, as the as the marketing guy is leaving, they they pitch uh, corn puppies. Um, and he draws a picture of Gusto and doggy makeup. Oh yes, okay. Now, what is the background on this? Like, this is obviously a part of the restaurant, the business, a side part of the business where they're mm-hmm. they're just like selling these microwavable meals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a source of income for the restaurant, right? And Skinner, you know, it seems to be in favor. Is it? Um, and we find out later, obviously, that like the staff isn't crazy about this because it's very anti, like what Gusto probably would have wanted. Uh, it's very like, um, like, or is it? Because if his philosophy is every anyone, or anyone, any, can, anyone cook. can cook, 
then he better offer some kind of product that lets anyone cook. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyone can pop it in the microwave. Um, but like, yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is like, yeah, I understand why the staff wouldn't like it. I get that. It just, it doesn't feel like, like what Gusto would want. It's not very like classy, but like what is, um, what's the main aim for Skinner with it? Is it just simply a, a money maker? Money. Yeah. Okay, I think that yeah. this, this whole, uh, moment or, or aspect of, of the, the infrastructure of the restaurant, I think exists solely to show, Skinner's well soullessness. Uh, yeah, um, the fact that, that he has gutted the brand, he's he's monetized Gusto's memory um, it, it, for profit. Basically, uh, is, okay. is the idea that, that I'm makes gleaning. Sense. So yeah, um, so, but yeah, you're not wrong. That I don't think the staff loves it. I don't think I, I think it's because they have a personal relationship with Gusto, mm. and they have a personal relationship with the restaurant. And they're like. Well, you're you're basically selling out our restaurant's well-known like brand, mm-hmm. and that brand is built on them specifically being good at what they do. Yeah. Um, and you're selling out that brand uh, to a mass market that isn't going to reflect the quality that we are boasting. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. It's it's a lack of the quality food that they can't provide. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, but afterwards, Skinner comes across a letter from Linguini's mother. Uh, he reads it, and uh, immediately we don't see what's on it. But he calls for his lawyer, so uh, you can kind of guess what he uh, what he sees on the letter. Yeah, yeah, that's a big moment. I I don't remember my first time like reacting to that, but but yeah, do, do you like remember when you first found out? Was that a like crazy, or did you see it coming? think well I, I was definitely surprised in the moment because like i wasn't expecting it to happen right then mm-hmm. um but i think i had a inkling of what was coming um I don't, yeah i don't know i don't remember that well um we then see the the lawyer um and skinner discuss um how linguini is gusto's son mm. uh skinner is suspicious of the situation to say the least uh, uh the lawyer takes a hair sample from gusto's hat um so this is this is propelling a, a new part of the story forward yeah um where where there's now a secret between uh, uh, Skinner and his lawyer that could make things very different for the protagonists of this movie. Yeah, and Linguini and Remy have no idea um, because, yeah, right, that's right. It's la- it's later on that Remy finds out. That's right. Yep. And so now, now Colette is being super harsh um, and is yelling at Linguini a lot. Um, so there, this, this is a montage where we see the two of them um, grow um, and and get closer uh, as characters. Um, there's a key moment when Colette mentions that uh, doing something unexpected is the job of Gusto, not us. Uh, yeah. um, and and she says, stick to the recipe. So like this is, I feel like this is another one of those moments where they, this movie has moments where it's like, hey, we're gonna give you the antithesis 
of what we are going to tell you later, like what we're going to prove is true later. Right. And and this is one of those moments where, where Colette thinks that it's not her job to do something unexpected. It's her job to stick to the recipe that was made by the guy who is qualified to do something unexpected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the whole, uh, you hear this a lot like in film, like, they say you shouldn't break the rules of filmmaking right. unless you understand the rules and then you choose to break them creatively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, sounds kind of backwards, but um, no, it actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so two of my favorite moments in the whole movie happen in this particular montage um, where we're seeing Linguini and Colette cook together. First one is, and I remember seeing this in theaters and thinking, oh my gosh, like give me the tingles. <laughs> Is when she she's teaching him how to like uh, like listen to bread, and she's like squeezing it, and it's making that like crackling sound. It's yeah. like super crisp. Yeah. Oh, ASMR vibes. Yeah, ASMR <laughs> vibes all the way. And um, the second moment that I love in this uh, montage, we we learn more about Horst. Um, so. <laughs> uh, we learn that he he's done time in prison, and uh, Colette's like, yeah, he changes his story every time you ask him about it. So it's just a, like a bunch of different answers to the question. Uh, first, he's like, I defrauded a major corporation, but then it gets more ridiculous. He's like, uh, I robbed us the second largest bank bank in France using only a ballpoint pen. Uh, then he says, I created a hole in the ozone over at Avignon. And then he says, I killed a man with, with this thumb, <laughs> which is so iconic. That's a kind of iconic line. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so now Linguini and Colette are relatively close by the end of the montage. We're starting to see some some sparks. Mm-hmm. Um, Skinner sees Remy and Linguini in the alley towards the end of this sequence. And um, Linguini does that whole fake out thing where he... Uh, um, Pretends he's like, oh, I'm picking up my keys. I dropped my keys. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, like, this is this is absolutely hilarious that they're like gaslighting the villain <laughs> throughout this movie, <laughs> like, like or Linguini specifically, I should say, is gaslighting Skinner uh, because Skinner sees Remy like so many times in this movie. Yeah. And every time Linguini is like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. You definitely do feel for Skinner at times in the movie. For sure, that we'll get to later. But yeah, no, it's funny. And yeah, speaking of Colette, um, it's it's pretty great because like there's so many moments where you feel like Remy is like like third wheeling a little bit as they start to like really get closer, mm-hmm. and you really feel for Remy because Remy like kind of knows like he again he has this intuition. He's a he's a cook, right? He, he kind of knows like what's best sometimes and then but like how it's like teaching him all these things like don't do this do this and then at times Remy's just like rolling his eyes <laughs> like you know it's, it's pretty great um i did want to share that what uh, uh speaking of colette one of the really great lines she has when she's teaching him things is she goes like when she's talking about like keeping his station clean mm-hmm. she's like she's like keep your station clean or i will kill you <laughs> <laughs> it's just like great line but yeah um, yeah, I, she at one point she says the mark of a great chef is clean sleeves and a dirty apron. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this the the next scene it's going to be a pivotal scene. Uh, customers are now asking 
what's new. Mm. Um, so uh, Gustava is freaking out because um, he's like, we don't make new things. So apparently they, they mentioned Linguini soup. Um, now Skinner's freaking out. Um, uh, but then he thinks of an idea. So Skinner like seems like unnaturally calm all of a sudden, and he assigns Linguini and Colette to make sweetbread. Um, which, uh, according to one of the other chefs we overhear him talking to, uh, Skinner, uh, was a recipe that Gusto thought was a disaster. So it sounds like Skinner is trying to set up Linguini for failure here. Mm. So as Colette tries to, quote-unquote, stick to the recipe, um, Remy makes Linguini go off book. So... Yeah, this is a really compelling setup. Here is we've got Colette trying to stick to the recipe, which is an apparent f- bad recipe. Yeah, um, you got Remy trying to fix it. You got Linguini trying to honor Colette, but he's being controlled by Remy. Yeah. So Colette gets frustrated. Uh, Remy puts uh, like there's that moment where <laughs> where uh, Remy makes Linguini block, <laughs> literally block Colette physically. Yeah. Um, and then, like, puts a different sauce on it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, like I was saying, like it, it's 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 so funny. But you're also like you're really feeling for um, Linguini because you're like, oh man, like because you know you, you know what it's like when you know yeah. and like uh you know like with our wives when we first were dating. Yeah, you know it's like you really want to like if you want to support them yeah. and like like even yeah even if uh Linguini did genuinely have concerns about the recipe which i mean he has no reason to but if he did he'd yeah. probably still go along with it because he's like yeah like colette knows better than me or like it, she's been doing this longer than i have right so and like there's something about like when you're when you're in love with someone like you know there are times where maybe they they have an opinion and maybe maybe you know that it's wrong or whatever but you're like but but you entertain it because you're like you're in love with them like you yeah. don't you you want to like follow their advice or you want you want to give or, them a shot yeah you know? yeah I guess there have been times where yeah I, I I get what you're saying and I I guess there's times where I'll like you know um I I won't correct something because I trust that I, like I want to be able to see Stephanie grow on her own and sometimes uh just stepping back lets her come to her own conclusion like. Like she she figures it out on on her own, yeah. And so yeah, that's totally understandable why Linguini would want you know to let Colette make the mistake of like, well, do the do the recipe the way it's supposed to, yeah. Um, even though like again, they don't necessarily view it as a mistake, but I I get that mentality. Yeah, and like and and obviously Remy's like against it, and I I would think at this point like Linguini would trust Remy's. Um, intuition yeah and but he also trusts her and he's also like you know he's like they're they're starting to like fall for each other so he really doesn't want to like you know uh pose any sort of animosity towards her because you know he's like has a crush on her and stuff so yeah Mm -hmm. you're definitely feeling for for linguine it's a great scene Um, but yes he does he does put the the sauce on um this creates like a, a rift uh, or a wedge between uh, Colette and Linguini. So we start to see some um, some division boiling, some like, you know, simmering below the surface, uh, uh, writing on the wall, of, or, or I should say foreshadowing of what's going to happen later. Yeah. Um, but 
there's a, a flux of special orders that suddenly come in for Linguini's sweet bread. So whatever <laughs> Remy did to the recipe, uh, it turns out it's a hit. And at the end of the night, Skinner sees Remy's silhouette in Linguini's hat. So then Linguini steps out to give Remy a break. And Skinner's like, oh, I'm going to go catch him in the act. So he tries to steal his hat off of <laughs> Linguini's head. Um, <laughs> and there's this moment where he's like, gotcha. And then you know, all of a sudden he's like, wait a second, there's nothing there. Oh, crap, I have to give an explanation for why I grabbed my my worker's hat. And yeah. it's just this funny moment of him, like, you know, trying to pass it off as, like, a joke or whatever. Yeah, and he's, like, climbed up on top of a, like, food card. And it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think it's at this point in the movie, Skinner invites Linguini into his office. He's like, okay, I don't know, like, what's going on with this rat, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to get... I'm going to get Linguini drunk. (laughs) So he, he pours like wine and he's like, let's toast to your non idiocy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which, which this is definitely one of a few times in this movie where we have a lot of some adult humor. Right. Right. I I actually was going to make a comment later. This is interesting that the title of the movie literally comes from a guy who is drunk musing about a funny word (laughs) like like yeah ratatouille comes back again later on at the end of the movie but this is the first time in the whole movie it's called ratatouille this is the first time in the whole movie that ratatouille is mentioned yeah and it's literally just like linguini being like you know what's a funny word ratatouille it sounds like rat and patootie <laughs> and it's like that's that's where they got the title <laughs> right yeah yeah it's it's, it's an interesting choice and like um definitely uh after i also watched you know i mentioned earlier i watched incredibles recently um there was actually a couple adult jokes in incredibles that i hadn't caught before oh really um one of the adult jokes is um uh is when mr incredible it's like passing by I think it's Mr. Incredible is passing by um, this like little trailer of like Syndrome's minions and they're watching like all the carnage that's going down in, in mm-hmm. like the city. Um, and, and one guy says like, hey, every time, every time uh, he shoots a laser, let's take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, as the, uh, you know, talking about, you know, drinking alcohol yeah. in, in a Pixar movie, kids movie, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising. Um, so I don't know if this is just a Brad Bird thing. If he's like, Hey, let's, well, let's appeal to the adult tier or right. Or what, but. Well, yeah. I mean, Pixar movies have never shied away from the fact that like their movies for everyone. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it doesn't super surprise me that that moment's in here. I mean, there's there are kids movies like you the, you go back into you know like Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Like there's moments that portray characters who are you know in some yeah. level inebriated, right? So yeah, Pinocchio and stuff. Yeah. Right. So there's definitely there's definitely. Um, uh, other examples of that happening in kids movies but um but this definitely does seem like way more uh like prevalent to like the plot because you have a character who is maliciously trying to make the protagonist 
drunk. Right. Even though he says he doesn't drink. And I think that's what makes it feel more adult is that's a very touchy situation where it's like your employer is is inviting you to a drink and you're like, yeah, I don't drink. Yeah. And then they start like pouring you you know, this drink and you feel like you have to do it because it's your boss. <laughs> yeah, it's a sketchy situation. Yeah. For sure. So anyways, um, meanwhile, Remy's lounging in the alley and he hears a noise. Um, turns out to be his brother Emil. And uh, Emil doesn't know what he's eating. <laughs> so <laughs> Remy's like, uh, hold up. You need to stop eating that. Um, he goes to the freezer and Ghost Gusto's like, you know, you know, steel. Like this is this is bad. But um, but yeah. So uh, while Skinner's interrogating Linguini, um, Remy is grabbing more food uh, from the freezer. Or the, the the food. What did you call pantry. it? The food pantry yeah. or whatever. Um, and he tries to teach Emil how to appreciate the taste of food. Um, and so this is where we get the second sequence where there's the music and the lights, uh, uh, but yeah. it's, it, it's a little bit different cause it's Emil who seems a little bit to have a more muted palate. He's like, um, yeah, I think I'm getting something. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and Oh, like, I'm definitely <laughs> detecting nuttiness. <laughs> yeah. And like it's like it's funny how the the little sparks are like way smaller than like Remy's. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's great. There's also a great quote during that scene where um, Remy uh, goes, he's like, he's he's like, Emil, what are you eating? Yeah, and Emil's like, he's like, I don't really know. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, honestly, I don't even know. It's like he this is yeah, literally just eating crap and has yeah. no idea where it came from. Yeah. I, I really oh, want to know what the the animators intended that <laughs> abomination to be. Because like yeah. when I was a kid and saw this, or I guess I was a teenager at the time, but when I saw when I saw this um, when it came out, like my first thought was it looked like a diaper, like an out of proportion diaper, like uh, a diaper for the size of like a a, a, a rat. Gross. But I don't think that's what it is, because there aren't di- rat sized diapers out there that I know of. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd be curious to know. So Remy's gonna go with uh, Emil. He's gonna return to the colony, um, and his dad gives him the prodigal son welcome. Yes, yeah, and uh, I, I, uh, uh, one of the things that I noted that I wrote down was I totally forgot about the rat band. Oh, so there's like this band of like rats that are just like jamming out. Oh yeah. <laughs> And like one guy, my favorite is the guy who's playing on a paper clip and he's playing his little guitar. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot about that too. Yeah, that was super cute. Like very clever use of like props and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Remy's dad talks about how hard it's been without Remy's poison checking. Um, and it's clear that he assumes Remy is coming back to the colony for good. But Remy tries to break it to his dad that he's not staying, um, and and so Remy and his dad kind of like have a little argument. Um, this is where Remy shares that he's he's done taking things; uh, he wants to make things. Mm-hmm. Um, so his dad compares him or his 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 way of thinking to humans. He's like, "You're thinking like a human." Uh, Remy defends humans, and his dad invites to show him something. Mm, yeah. 
Um, meanwhile, Skinner is telling Linguini to stay and clean up the kitchen, which is a total mess. So it's like super late at night and Linguini's drunk and his boss just told him like to clean up the entire kitchen, which is trashed. Yeah. Um, and, and then we skip back to Remy, um, who's shown a storefront with a bunch of like traps and rat poison. His dad tells him, uh, we have to look out for our own kind. And this is really the moment that establishes like rats and humans have really been at odds with each other mm-hmm. in this world um, up to this point. And so Remy rejects uh, the way th- the way things are. Um, and I say that with uh, air quotes because because that's that's how it's referred to in the movie. And then um, the there's the quote that, change is nature um which mm. is interesting um he, he he's he's making a a argument for remy is making an argument for change being natural and his dad's making an argument for uh things need to stay the same yeah and like preserve self-preservation and like preservation for their kind and mm-hmm. um yeah it's really it's, that's a really interesting dialogue like there's several moments in the film that happened that I think this shows the sophistication of the movie that they really take a lot of a nuanced approaches to the themes in this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like as the movie's going on, like you're you keep getting like deeper with like the message. Like it's like you have this message of anyone can cook, right? Which is like definitely like the main message, but you keep getting like deeper into like societal or I mean uh, uh um like family pressures, um, but also like the idea of like you know, yeah, like, can things change within a society, if you will, mm-hmm. the relationship between rats and humans? It's really interesting. But yeah, um, getting back to that that scene, though, with the storefront is such a haunting scene. You know, like, I, yeah, I mean, as, you know, as a human being, like, you know, you, you know, we've all seen probably, like, dead mice or dead rats, and you don't really make much of it. But then when you watch a movie where you're so endeared to a rat character, yeah, that's, like, borderline traumatic like right for the audience and and just the way that it's filmed and the way that like remy like turns away and like yeah, he winces it. yeah it is like you're like oh my gosh like for him that's like us seeing humans dead right yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember thinking that like having that thought of like wow this is a really dark moment but only because of the context in which it's presented in this movie. Like if you saw that scene isolated in any other context, it might not have the impact, but because we're seeing Remy who is now friends with Linguini and he's cooking and he's doing human things. And it's like, you're endearing yourself to him in a way that is not like a rat. He's a human Mm -hmm. um, to the audience. And so then you see that and it goes, it it shakes you because you're like, oh, wait, no, he is a rat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it, uh, reminds you of it again. It's um, again, throwing out a non Pixar movie. It reminds me of like in Bambi, you know, like, uh, Hey, that's not a Pixar movie. In uh, the scene where, you know, they, they hear the gunshots, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, this is the man. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, holy moly. Like, humans are, like, can be can be so evil and, and, and should be, like, feared yeah. in this story. And in the same way, you see that scene and you're like, you really believe, like, the dad. You're like, oh, my gosh, like, Remy should fear human beings. Like, mm-hmm. holy moly. Um 
And so it, it really raises the stakes and makes you empathize with the dad. Um, but yeah, th- then getting back to what you were saying, like the last, I think the last two lines is, um, Remy's dad says, you know, where are you going? Right. And then Remy says, you know, with luck forward. Yeah. That's, yeah. I love that quote. Um, wait, wait, the comparison you just made was really interesting. Cause I never thought about the fact that other movies do the same thing as this movie, but none of those movies have the animal in question teaming up with the human. So it's like, well, I mean, I shouldn't say none, but I can't mm. think of any other examples where it's like, showing this level of animosity between species and then like this would be like i mean this is a more mild version of it but like can you imagine if in finding nemo marlin just befriends the dentist and they become buds right right like that's kind of like what what this is doing um yeah but yeah, it's a great scene. In in the morning, uh, Remy is going to emerge from the sewer and he jogs past a, a human passerby who crashes his bike into a car. He does that classic like uh, finger snap point, hey. you know, finger gun or whatever. Um, that's a iconic moment. Um, mm-hmm. Remy returns to the kitchen to find a sleeping linguini um, who's passed out while cleaning up. Remy gets into his hat and starts puppeting him while he sleeps uh, to make it look like he's working. But unable to wake him up, Remy continues to puppet Linguini as Colette arrives. And uh, Linguini is like sleeping while she's like talking to him. She's trying to make small talk. And then she starts to like, like have a heart to heart with him. (laughs) And oh my gosh, this scene is like tragic and humorous <laughs> i know you feel so bad because you're like he's totally zonked this whole time and yeah. like he's doing all those nods and stuff that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the moment where he snores at her and she slaps him um and then it's like in this moment that she like he wakes up from the slap and then it's in that exact moment that she confesses that she liked him <laughs> and so so she she starts to like uh, like ride her she gets on her motorcycle and she's about to ride away uh, but he stops her and pleads with her um he almost tells her about remy mm-hmm. um he tells her about his tiny chef um but he's like starting to sound like really crazy and yeah. and, and the dots aren't quite connecting um, so she's like reaching for the pepper spray <laughs> and uh, he's about to remove his hat, but Remy's, you know, not going to let that happen. So um, Remy like uses his his puppeting to make him go in for a kiss. And the the line preceding this is is a great like this is again, this is class A screenwriting like this movie is is so smart with its dialogue uh linguini says you want to know what why i'm such a great chef i'm gonna show (laughs) you like uh it's 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 he's 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 saying what he's meaning to say is that that remy is why he's such a great chef and he's gonna show her remy yeah but then by remy making him go in for a kiss it changes the meaning of Uh. the statement and makes him it it, it sounds romantic all of a sudden it's like oh like from Colette's perspective, he just said the most romantic thing in the world. Oh, because he's saying like she's the reason why she's the reason he's the he's such a good chef. Oh, and I so that nice. yeah. and so it's like 
brilliant writing because like from her perspective she's 100% bought in even though he's not being honest with her she has no reason to to question him because yeah. he just said that to her in her mind right that's pretty cool so <laughs> that's great i don't know i i love that moment um and then of course you have the, the music that swells there with the My- michael giacchino is yeah woo, yeah good. yeah yeah so um the next scene is gonna show us ego's office which is shaped like a coffin appropriately oh he's nice. so tim burton i yeah. i love how tim burton he is like his his nickname is the Grim Eater. He's got like he wears all black. He's got the pale skin and like the dark sunken eye eye holes or whatever. Yeah. And um uh yeah, and now he's got a coffin shaped office. He might as well be straight out of like, you know, corpse bride or something. Um And he has a picture of himself. Did you see that? I didn't. Yeah, this is a painting. Like, you know, he has his desk, right? Yeah. Like right on the on that same wall. Um, behind it, there's just a picture of himself, which is just, well, his name is Ego. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, like, wait, how many layers of, like, meta is his character represent? Like, how, like, he, is is he supposed to be, like, a, a symbolic representation of someone's actual ego? Yeah, or, or just maybe the ego of critics. Maybe there's more there. Right, right, know. or society... Maybe or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's a great. That's a that's a great point. Um, but yeah, so ego is notified that Gusto's restaurant is suddenly out of the blue relevant again, and ego points out that he condemned Gusto to be among the ranks of Chef Boyardee. Um, <laughs> Boyardee. And I have to say, I love Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Shout out to Chef Boyardee. Yeah, I don't know if you've had <laughs> Chef Boyardee recently. I, I eat a lot of microwave meals at work. Yeah. I do. Um, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I eat quite a few canned pastas every week. And no I just have to say, you, you've you got your SpaghettiOs and you've got your, your Chef Boyardee. Those are like the two main brands. And yeah. then you've got some third-party brands, like like the generic brands that are like you know, doing the same thing. Yeah. And I have to say, I have tasted every single brand at my grocery store <laughs> and they're all gross except Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Chef Boyardee just tastes so good. This is not a commercial. This is not a paid, <laughs> this is not a paid promotion, but I just have to say, no that is not the insult you think it is, Ego. <laughs> yeah, no, Chef Boyardee slaps, man. Uh, uh, it's so, um, the, the ravioli or the mini ravioli. Oh yeah. Woo! Oh yeah, and like yeah. their their sauce is so much better. Like that's I think that's what it is for me is their their secret. I don't know the secret, secret but sauce. the 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 sauce is is clearly um a, of a better higher quality than than SpaghettiOs or any of the other generic brands that kind of have like a weird. This is gonna sound gross. You can cut this out later. Um, but the uh, some of them just have like a weird vomit aftertaste. Uh, yeah, you know. And Chip RID doesn't have that. It just tastes good every time. Well, he's a chef. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. So. <laughs> Uh, the lawyer, uh, that is Skinner's lawyer, is now uh, back to confirm that Linguini is indeed Gusto's son. Oh. And Skinner tells him about the rat, and Skinner thinks that Linguini is trying to taunt him with the rat. Uh. So so now Skinner thinks maybe Linguini knows uh, more than we think he knows. Oh, yeah. And that <laughs> this is all just a mind game. <laughs> 
And so the lawyer mentions that the first, uh, and this is as he's leaving, so this is kind of a comedic beat, but the lawyer mentions that the first um, hair sample that he sent to the lab um, from Linguini's hat came back as rodent hair. Rodent hair, yeah. And he's like, oh, snap. What's real? What's fake? Yeah, so like now even, even like, verifiable facts are are assisting in the gaslighting of of skinner although it is it technically assisting no it's not assisting it's dissuading the gaslighting of skinner i guess i don't know anyways yeah, um yeah you definitely are starting to feel more for skinner because again like you still like he's not he's not a likable whatsoever like he's certainly the antagonist um slash ego as well but um but you, yeah, you you're like, oh man, like this dude's this dude's on like a mental like circus basically of trying to figure out what the heck is real and mm-hmm. and so anyway. Moving on, Colette and Linguini um, cook together, and Remy fights Linguini for control. Um, they then ride off on her moped, and Remy f- flies off Linguini's head, which I have to say is super irresponsible of Linguini. I know. Um this is so this is the moment in the film where Colette and Linguini have kind of like made up. They're yeah. they're 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 back together but but at the expense of Remy. Yeah. Like cuz that's why it's showing, Ugh. you know, Linguini's fighting Remy for control. He's rejecting Remy in favor of Colette. Yeah. And, and it's it, he doesn't have to choose between them. I I don't think but it's 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 making his his infatu it's showing that his infatuation has stepped in the way of his relationship with Remy, and yeah, this this Remy. moment where Remy falls off his head is just tragic because it's like Linguini, what are you doing? Yeah, it's definitely a, a classic like love is blind. Like I feel like this happens a lot in like high school relationships where people are so infatuated with their significant other that they can kind of like distance from their friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, I hate when that happens. And so anyways, yeah, a lot, a lot of feels for Remy here. So I'm just now realizing this as I'm reading my notes, the, this next scene I think is meant to be a like mirror to an earlier scene. Um, so I, I noted that um, after Remy falls off Linguini's head, he he uh, runs into some humans and they all scream and freak out like, mm. ah, rat. So he dives into the sewer and takes the underground route back to Gusto's restaurant. Now, I'm realizing that a few scenes ago, we saw the scene where he's walking down the street and does finger guns at the guy who crashes into the car. Yeah. So... I think that the emotional state of Remy is reflected in how he how he travels. Like he in, in that moment earlier in the film where he's walking down the street, he views himself as valuable. He views himself as a human, as an equal. Mm-hmm. So he's taking the street, the dignified road. He's taking the high road. Yeah. But now he's he's seeing because Linguini is kind of like showing signs of rejection to him. He's now questioning himself and now people around him are like seeing him as a monster mm-hmm. and now he he feels ashamed and he's taking the 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 underground route. Yeah, it's it's really emotional, man. Um it, it it's not quite a picture feels, but it's <laughs> I'm, I I've too many already. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you can't exhaust Pixar feels moments, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to be impactful anymore. 
Um, yeah, I can't throw them out like, you know, free stuff like an Oprah show or whatever, but I don't know. what That was a stupid comparison. <laughs> Why did I say that? Um, anywho, um, <laughs> cut that out, future Ben. Um, <laughs> future self. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just really emotional, man. Like when he's when he's in the sewer. Yeah, like you mentioned here, visually, he's in the sewer now. Yeah. He's a sewer rat. He's this amazing chef. He's now a sewer rat in this moment. Yeah. Um, he, you know, the last place that he should be. And when you hear the words that people say, like the lady says, oh, disgusting. Yeah. You know, um, man, you really feel for Remy. And um, yeah, man, it, it's that's some deep stuff there. Like that, like how he is able to walk away from that with any sort of self-worth is incredible because, yeah, just imagine if like, if society like looked at you mm-hmm. and said like, you are disgusting, you know, like, right. Um, so that, that is, yeah. Anyways, that, that moment hit me really hard. I really felt for him there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so Remy returns to the restaurant and finds Emil with his friends. Um, they're waiting for Remy to get them some food. So Remy goes, um, into the restaurant, but the, uh, food safe or whatever it's called is locked. Um, so Remy goes into the office to get the key and uh, Ghost Gusto tries to dissuade him. Um, and there's a there's a moment where he talks to a few different versions of Gusto because there's all the standees of the different branded, you know, mm. frozen foods or whatever. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out that the corn dog uh, sounds like <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's not a Pixar movie. Um, so then while Remy finds the key, he also finds Gusto's will. Mm. And it's then that Remy discovers the truth about Linguini's heritage. Oh, snap. So Gusto is, is just as surprised as, as Remy is. Um, yeah, what's that the line he says? He, he's like, I have a son? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and this proves that, like, like if there was any doubt at, up to this point in the movie, this proves that Gusto is, in fact, a projection of Remy's mind. Right, because um, he's like, he's like, how could I know? I'm a projection of your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a figment of your imagination. Uh, Skinner arrives to see Remy, who uh, escapes with the documents. So Skinner, like, chases him through Paris, um, and Remy, th- th- there's a moment I want to compare to uh, a past Pixar film. I'll, I'll tell you the moment. Tell me if you can guess the movie that this reminded me of. Okay. So past Pixar movie. There's a moment where Remy um, jumps off the boat, I think, and he's got the two documents in his mouth, and he's trying to escape Skinner. And the the documents catch some wind, so he kind of glides oh, yeah. um, to safety. Do you know what that reminded me of? Uh, Woody and Buzz getting back in the yep, car. <laughs> yep, yep. It's like it's like a Buzz, you can fly kind of moment. I don't know. I just I don't know if that was intentional, but it had that vibe for me where it was like, you know what? In my head canon, that was an homage to Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so when Skinner returns, he finds that the documents have been delivered to Linguini, and he is now the owner of the restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, So this very abruptly cuts into a montage of uh, Linguini taking over and um, getting a nicer apartment. 
Um, Skinner's watching from afar. We see him a bunch of times. Now he's wearing sunglasses and a trench coat as he kind of stalks Linguini. Mm. Um, Remy is feeding his brother's friends. Uh, so there's there's now kind of a relationship that Remy has uh, passing food out in the alleyway right. to other rats. And uh, I love, there's a moment here. Again, I have to point this out because I, I love this character. But um, uh, Will Arnett's character kicks Skinner out of uh, the restaurant or... I th- yeah, I think they're in the the kitchen or something, and and he catches Skinner, and all it do- all it does is it shows a close up of him, and he holds his thumb up, and then you see <laughs> then you see Skinner like flying out the back door. That's so great. Um, but then we all we also see in this uh, sequence, there's like a cute little roller skate date. Oh yeah, and I just I like that because it's it's cute. They're on roller skates. <laughs> Colette and Linguini in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ship them. I ship them hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so then it cuts to a scene. It's it's a there's a press conference, um, but Remy is upset that Linguini is you know crediting Colette for his genius in this scene um, because you know reporters are asking questions and stuff. Um, and uh, while this is happening, we're also seeing Skinner report um, Gusto's restaurant to the health inspector. Mm. Um, so that's setting up a seed for later. Um, we also see Ego shows up to the press conference, and uh, there's a there's a really cool moment. It's subtle. It's not a like huge story moment. It's just like. I don't know. It makes you feel something where it shows Remy is intimidated. And I think that might be important that Remy is intimidated by ego mm. because it's showing that this isn't this isn't just a normal human. This is a human whose opinion Remy really values. Mm. Like this is someone who he's not scary to Remy because he's a human. He's scary to Remy because he's a food critic. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's a good, and that's a really good point to have because in the film, um, because Remy is so talented. Um, everything he makes is like magic. So it's kind of like, what does he have to be like nervous about as long as he has Linguini? Right. Yeah. And so now it's like, okay, now he has someone who's going to be critiquing, you know, every bite of his meal. Right. So. Right. And so uh, this is also where we get an iconic line from uh, Mr. Ego, and he says, I don't like food. I love it. If I don't love it, I don't swallow. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fearsome line, but yet, like, all he's saying, all he's talking about is, like, not eating food he doesn't like, well, but his delivery but is it's so also, good. But it's also gross. It's like you're you're basically saying, like, in a very shameless way, if um, if I taste food that I don't like, I spit it out. Oh yeah, you know, which is is a gross thing to picture, but at the same time, it's like that's how serious he takes food. You yeah, know? and um, and that's how thin he. That's why he's thin. Yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, that's what he's <laughs> responding to. He's like, for someone Linguini accuses him. He's like, for someone who likes food, you're really skinny. He's like, <laughs> bro. I love food. I don't swallow food that I don't like. Yeah. There's not much that I will eat. Yeah. Um, so mm. Ego announces his pending review. Um, this is setting up the climax of the movie. 
Um, next scene, Linguini gets mad at Remy for giving him attitude. Um, so he dismisses him. We see him take him out into the alley um, where Skinner actually witnesses um, everything. And so, and so now this is confirming everything to, to Skinner gaslight over. He's like, Oh, the rat is the chef. Like, like this whole time, like I finally figured it out. Right. Um, and so to spite Linguini, Remy invites the whole clan of rats into the restaurant. Um, and and so now there's yeah there's this rift between Linguini and Remy and things are brewing awful trouble coming and then Linguini feels bad when he sees that Remy hasn't returned home after work like there's this cute moment where he goes home and he's like little chef and there's uh, no one there so instead Remy is back at the restaurant letting his colony raid the kitchen and it is chaos uh, Linguini returns and finds. Remy, the colony's hiding at this point. Um, so he just has this heart to heart with Remy. And it's so cute. Like Linguini gives this super heartfelt apology and it's adorable. Um, but is interrupted by Emil coughing a bunch of grapes onto the back of Linguini's neck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, like this is like Looney Tunes humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's so emotional, though. Yeah, it is. Well, it is because I really felt for Remy in that moment because I, I, I feel like I've been in moments where somebody is apologizing to you, and you know that like it's it's not grounded in truth yet. Mm-hmm. Like they're apo- or they're they're apologizing to you, but you're still deceiving them. Yeah. And so like, that's like the worst feeling to have uh, where somebody is, is like legitimately reaching out and showing grace and you haven't shown them grace. Right. Yeah. And you're doing stuff behind their back and it's, right. Yeah. That, oh, dude, that, that scene is so emotional. And like, cause all, all they're literally caught in the moment and they're all hiding and Laguini can't see anything, but Remy knows that he's, you know, stabbing him in the back, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, and then it's just so heart-wrenching then when, yeah, when Linguini finds out and kicks them all out. Yeah. And, um, and, and you can just tell, like, his trust is, like, broken. I, don't, I can't even remember what he says there. Yeah, I don't remember, but he, he says some awful things. Like, Linguini says some awful things, um, cause, cause at the end of the scene, like, Remy's spirit is broken. Um, he tells the colony, so they're all like, you know, Linguini runs them out, and 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 Remy just tells the colony, like, you know, wait a little bit, and then you can go back in and get your food. I'm I'm out. I'm piecing out. Um, and and he just wanders off, and it's like, like Remy's not concerned about consequences because Remy genuinely believes it's over. He's like, this is probably the last chance my colony's ever going to get a chance to like eat good food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just going to let them do their thing. I I'm never going to be able to be allowed back in there, so I'm just going to go off. Like he's broken. Yeah, yeah, I th- I I want to say that Linguini like basically says like like I, you know, get out of here. You're not welcome here. Mm-hmm. Like don't come back kind of yeah, vibes yeah. um because of his dishonesty and um, yeah, I, I don't want to get into too much of a tangent here, but like, it really is interesting. Remy's, Remy's like vice of theft mm-hmm. is certainly a big thread and it starts out very early on. Um, 
Yeah. Because he, he's talking with his dad, and well, he right? yeah, well, it starts all the way back with the old lady. Yeah, he was stealing from her. He was stealing from her kitchen, but I don't know if that's when when it was established that 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 stealing was wrong. I don't remember if there was was it was it uh when Gusto first started manifesting and as his conscious. Yeah, well, there when was, he first arrived in Paris, there was that conversation about not stealing. Yeah, there was that and then that happened then there was one time when, the first time he brings his family and Gusto warns him not to mm-hmm. do it and he does it anyways. Um yeah. but like doesn't he even tell his dad early on in the film that like like um like dad were stealing or whatever. And his dad's like, no, we're not, or whatever. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I think that 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 there is there is a conversation where he's he's telling his dad um, that that stealing is wrong or whatever. Yeah, which but is yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it it's interesting you point that out because I, I I've never really picked up on that thread where this is kind of the culmination of what you called accurately called Remy's vice. Mm-hmm. Like being a rat, you're you're wired to steal. Yeah, it takes um, things, yeah, and that's super interesting. That it's it's um, it's juxtaposing that because because earlier there's the quote about like food always comes to those who love to cook, and I think I think like as I'm processing it in the moment, um, I think it's juxtaposing theft with creation. Hmm. Um, because, because Remy is the only rat who is capable of cooking, of creating, of making art. He is the one with the conscience that sees two paths. He sees theft and he sees creation Mm. and he's, he's constantly pulled between the two. Whereas all the other rats, they have no avenue of creation. They have no artistic out, out outlet. Right. So they only see the path of theft. Yeah. So that is super interesting. You bringing that up because now I'm starting to see like all the, the breadcrumbs throughout the movie of like that being a theme in this movie of like, you know, theft really being the antithesis of creation yeah that's a really interesting um yeah that's really interesting like juxtaposition there yeah because in one on one hand theft is taking something somebody else created but when you're creating something of your own it it becomes your own Mm, you know you're taking ownership you're putting work into it and you're earning it right yeah yeah for sure that's really cool yeah so um yeah, so then next we're going to see a nightmare that Linguini has about Ego. Um, that was pretty trippy. Um, Linguini wakes up in his office and Colette asks him uh, to come inspire the staff because they're all nervous about, you know, cooking for uh, for Anton Ego. And uh, I, thought I, would <laughs> I thought I would quote this uh, absolutely iconic speech so the, this is this is um, Linguini's inspirational speech. He says, <clears throat> "Tonight is a big night. Appetite is coming, and he's going to have a big ego. I mean, ego. <laughs> he's coming, the critic, and he's going to order something, something from our menu, <laughs> and we're gonna cook it." <laughs> And then he just kind of rambles on. Um, you don't you don't necessarily hear the rest of the speech, but um, while 
while that's going on, uh, Emil tries to get Remy to lower his food standards. Um, he almost walks into a live trap, um, but Remy saves him and gets trapped instead. So now Skinner has caught Remy out in the alleyway. Mm. Um, and uh, Colette, um, meanwhile in the kitchen, Colette sees Linguini is distressed and he she dismisses the staff and um, puts Linguini out of his misery. He doesn't have to give a speech anymore because he's just kind of rambling. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Ego shows up and his order is uh, pretty simple. Do you remember what he orders? Perspective. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I really want to go to a, like a Disney park and like pull up a menu and like see just a menu item that says perspective. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. that would be such or even to have it be like a secret menu item. Maybe it is. I need to go to every Disney park restaurant yeah. and order perspective and see if any of them give me anything. <laughs> see if they serve you ratatouille. <gasps> that would be dope because yeah. I think that there there is... I could be wrong. I think they're seasonally they seasonally serve ratatouille at um uh the Lamplight Lounge at DCA in California. So oh, nice. I could be wrong, but I feel like that they've had it there before. Either way, that would be the place to order perspective. Yeah. Um so <laughs> uh meanwhile in the live trap, uh, Ghost Gusto talks to Remy. He says Basically, I'm paraphrasing. You don't need anyone to tell you who you are. You never did. Yeah. Because you always knew who you were. Um, yeah. And and it's this little inspiration for Remy um, right before Emil breaks him out. So Emil um, comes to the rescue with the other rats, and they get him out of Skinner's trunk. Um, but without Remy, Linguini is panicking, and everyone is yelling at him. <laughs> um Remy's family tries to stop Remy from entering the kitchen. Like they're all like, "No, don't go in there." Yeah. But um, he just barely manages to get in, and everyone in the kitchen, all the humans, turn and see him, and they all go after him all at once. But Linguini stops every. He steps in front of uh, Remy and stops everyone, and um, he basically tells everyone the truth. And this moment is like, I feel like this has been done so many times in. Um, animated movies. I'm trying to think of other examples, but the only one that comes to mind is uh, Lion King 2, where... Hey, that's not a Pixar movie! Where Linguini, or should I say uh, the, the, the protagonist, I forget their name, Koba, is that his name? I don't remember. The protagonist of Lion King 2 and then and then the the daughter of, of Simba, um, there's these two factions of lions that are coming to fight, and the two of them are in love. It's very Romeo and Juliet, and they come and stand between everyone, hmm. uh, like facing their own people, kind of like defending uh, their loved one from the other side or whatever. Yeah. And um, I feel like that's kind of a, a trope tropey kind of moment but again in this movie it earns it Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah it's it's also kind of a emotional moment as well because um yeah like again like going back to my point earlier when when colette you know first defends linguini and says like anyone can cook like this is again a moment but this is even more um 
intense and like and really beautiful that like he literally is holding Remy and saying like this is the cook like he is the one who's been making all this beautiful um uh uh dishes and and it's just also the humility of yeah. linguini too yeah to just like telling the truth and like not trying not having any pride just like th- here's the one he's he's lifting up his friend and he's showing everyone even though it's so ridiculous mm-hmm. um it's just a really beautiful moment to like give like honor where it's due and i i felt like obviously what happens next is sad but like in that moment for for I feel like for Remy, you're like you're like yes, like he's finally getting the honor that he's due. Like he is a chef, yeah, you know, world class chef. And you know, we've seen all these scenes earlier in the film where he's like doubting who he is, and mm-hmm. um, and then you know, Gusto gives him that you know speech of telling him like you know like you know like you're a chef, you know, yeah. you're an artist, like you know, stand proud, and um, and so like yeah, it's like finally he's getting his honor. And then just like rips out from the rug when you just one by one see all the staff like leaving, dude. Oh, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what happens next? You're right. It's very sad. One by one, everyone quits. Colette is the last to leave. Um, she seems the most hurt by everything. Um, but we do see very quickly um, she's crying, driving away on her motorcycle. And she almost crashes into a car. She stops. She looks off to the side and sees in a shop window the book anyone can, can cook. cook. And you pointed out earlier, she was the one who brought up that whole theme in defense of Linguini. Right. She's the one who, who she was the first person to say anyone can cook in the kitchen right. um, during the movie. And so she's um, really the, the champion of that statement. Um, or has been set up as the champion of that statement. So she's reminded like that she's not being true to herself by running away. Right. Yeah, dude, that's, that's such a cool moment. I love the way that, um, that that's like, I would say shot, but it's animated. This movie, by the way, is so beautifully animated. It feels almost like, like shot in a way. Like it's hard to describe. It feels so immersive in, um, Paris that like, Oh yeah. It's just very cinematic movie, but um, but yeah, th- there's this like shot of it's like a like a medium shot of her on her bike, and just the way the lighting is, it's like really beautifully done. And um, that that particular scene, I just felt was really cool. But yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as with the staff leaving, like, so do you have thoughts on that? Like, do, I'm assuming people they just thought he was crazy or he was lying to them or whatever. But I mean, well, nobody wants to work under a rat <laughs> chef. So they, they, but do you think they they believed him though? Mm, oh, that's a good question. I guess I never really thought about it, but I'm gonna guess that they believed him because Colette's Colette's arc over the next couple seconds yeah. is about her coming to terms with the idea that anyone can cook. It's not about is my boyfriend a liar. I think I think that the truth spoke for itself in that moment and when when everyone quit and that people were weren't quitting because like oh Linguini that dude's full of it I think they're quitting because oh wow he's been lying to us this whole time and mm, he yeah. not only is he deceiving us but he's doing something really gross yeah. <laughs> he's letting a food or like a rat cook our food like that is is disturbing um, so 
yeah, in my mind, I don't think anyone questioned whether or not he was telling the truth. I think they were just struggling with the truth. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, like that that was a lie before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so Linguini sulks in his office while Ego's out waiting in the dining room um, in this moment. And Remy's dad returns to the kitchen um, and confesses to Remy that he was wrong. Like, this is a really, really impactful moment where we have this hard-nosed character who's like, no, things need to stay the way they are. Like, you know progression is 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 you know the enemy it's gonna hurt us well then he comes to remy is like no you were right um so he then organizes the colony to help remy so now remy has you know the the labor the hands for um what he needs to do um so the health inspector this is a Another Looney Tunes moment. Yeah, it totally uh, is. health inspector. I need to make a stinger for Looney Tunes moment. <laughs> uh, the health inspector shows up and the rats abduct him. Uh, it's very much like a horror film. Like yeah, again, context is. is everything in this movie. And without that context, that scene where the rats like chase him down and like tie him up, it's like <laughs> get him, boys. That would be a horror film in any other movie yeah, or like, a, a horror scene in any other movie like um, Hitchcock with the birds or whatever yeah yeah I, I gotta say by the way there's a hilarious um, line that Remy's dad ha- uh, says he goes he's like alright boys alpha team like go oh yeah <laughs> whatever like yeah, I think I wrote it down he says um, yeah alpha team move <laughs> yeah um but yeah and then real quick um so yeah two moments that like that you mentioned that we definitely should should quickly you know hit is like so two big moments here that are that are that are like you know have some emotional impact is like remy coming back and then linguini saying like little chef you came back Mm -hmm. you know that that moment is like really beautiful um for their friendship and to show that like you know, like all's forgiven, um, mm-hmm. both ways is like really cool. And then, yeah. And then like with, um, with his dad, um, being able to, um, yeah, to like to make amends is just, it's just really beautiful. I, yeah. I, I just love how like, yeah, so much like forgiveness happens, um, quickly between like between Remy and, um, and his dad and, and Linguini. It's just really mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and and this next moment I think is significant. So, um, Linguini realizes that you know somebody's got to go take orders. So he puts yeah. on the waiter outfit and he goes gets in roller skates. And we saw him roller skating earlier, yeah, which he's really good at. And so now he's like zipping around the dining room like a total stud, and it's like, <laughs> whoa, who is this guy? And I think this is an important moment. It's subtle. It's it's hidden in there. They don't put a lot of emphasis on it, but I think it's important that they're showing us Linguini is good at something. Yeah, right. He's, yeah. <laughs> no, he's 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 meant to be a waiter. Like he has a place in the world. Yeah. It's not in the kitchen though. Yeah. And right. I think that that this is a this is such an important lesson for people because sometimes people are like drawn to like like oh I I you know. In, in this case, Linguini ended up at a restaurant, and he thought, well, like, I guess I have to work in the kitchen, but I'm no good in the kitchen. Yeah. The moment he tries something new, he excels at it, and he's brilliant. And so it's right. like, yeah. 
that's just super important lesson to learn is, uh, you know, try something different. If, if what you're doing isn't working out, that's not a reflection of you or who you are, like yeah. whether you're good or bad. It's like, just try something different, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Find your, find your lane. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, but Colette returns and almost throws up at the sight of all the rats cooking. <laughs> um, but Linguini convinces her to stay. Um, so she's very, again, she's very reluctant, but she, she sticks to her guns, like her, her moral code of anyone can cook. Right. Like she believes that and yeah. she shows that in her actions here. Um, but yeah, she asks Remy, uh, what they're going to cook for, for ego and he pulls out a recipe card for ratatouille. Yes. And uh, roll credits. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Um, but the health inspector is tied up, and um, we see him thrown in the freezer. And there's this great moment where, like, Colette turns around and sees it, and she's like, "All right, I'm not gonna ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get through this night, and, yeah. then, and then maybe I can ask questions later." <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, the ratatouille looks amazing. Yes. And uh, the, the whole cooking of it, um, I think we've talked on this podcast before about how good animated food looks. We look, we've we talked about um, in, uh, in, or... yeah, in Turning Red, oh, yeah, how, Turning like, Red yeah. how great mm. the food looks and yeah, and, and Bao too. But yeah, there's uh, lots of great examples of, of food just looking extra appetizing in in Pixar movies and this is this is literally the gold standard for uh animated food like i remember when i was you know younger i i got this movie on on dvd and i would watch it all the time and every time i did it would make me hungry i would be yeah. like i just want to go get some food like some really well cooked fresh food you know yeah no seriously yeah they I, i'm sure pixar like whenever they're gonna add food into a movie they probably like review ratatouille or like yeah um but yeah it, it definitely i gotta say too quickly that like this movie definitely leaves people like me who know nothing about food my wife knows sarah if you're listening um i can't cook you, you know it um thank you for cooking all my meals for me but um for someone like me who can't cook it shows that like that cooking it's an art form mm -hmm. you know like i before I, honestly i could probably say that ratatouille probably alone has convinced me that cooking is an art form oh absolutely yes and i would also like to thank my wife stephanie for cooking for me and uh she is a fantastic cook thank goodness because i can't cook worth crap every yeah. time i do it turns into mush or gets burnt or <laughs> you know something something happens so it happens to me all the time um you're not alone in that um but yeah no seriously like obviously we you know we love the arts and filmmaking music and stuff and like i don't know this movie man this this movie really it makes me want to not not just eat food that's for sure it does that but also like it makes me like intrigued about culinary yeah arts and oh yeah so maybe yeah someday, i Stephanie, I just need to ask you more questions and learn. <laughs> I just need to learn from you because, yes, it would be. It, I think it's a great thing to know how to cook. It's a great skill to have. It's an important skill to have. I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's uh, so much weight off of uh, 
our wives' shoulders that we could take if <laughs> yeah. we if we took up the uh, the art of cooking. But but yeah, so they make ratatouille. It looks delicious. I really want to try it. I really want to try it, Ben. Mm. Really badly. Uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> they serve the ratatouille to both Ego and Skinner. Uh, Ego kind of scoffs at it. Um, he he literally, fla- but like he takes a bite of of the the ratatouille, and literally with one bite, he flashes back to his childhood. Um, and there's this great moment where his pen drops out of his hand. Mm. And it's such a beautiful moment. It's like so the the thing I love about animation is that you're able to do everything visually. Like you can do the same thing in live action film, but there's just a satisfying element of being able to communicate, you know, so much story and just like a visual action right. and like a pen falling out of somebody's hand communicating volumes right oh um, gosh, yeah. he's literally disarmed mm-hmm. like pen pen is often like you know uh compared to like swords like the pen is mightier than the sword oh yeah um and and that being a classic saying and so um so you're you're literally seeing uh ego disarmed by his his reaction to the food. Uh, he smiles for the first time in the whole movie. And then we even see Skinner smile. Yeah, right. Um, like, for a moment. Like, Skinner's, Skinner's smile is kind of funny because it happens for, like, a split second. He has, like, a uh, like an involuntary, like, archaic smile like a little twinge on the corner of his mouth and and it's like you can tell he doesn't want to love it but he does yeah exactly he like smiles and then he frowns again yeah and then he like grips the the tablecloth and he's like yeah um but yeah skinner bursts into the kitchen looks around and is promptly thrown into the freezer with the health inspector (laughs) (laughs) add him to the pile um yeah no that's a really interesting point about um ego and his pen like yeah, you think about it like um, for a critic, their pen or keyboard, whatever you, how you want to say it. Yeah, that that is their livelihood. Like, yeah, like his pen is like that's what um, writes into stone. Air quote his reviews yeah. and yeah. everything he says is like is just like the the common consensus. And so his pen is like his wall in a way. It's, it's like his his gavel or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's his tool for condemnation. Yeah, gavel is a great example too. It's like what he uses to to judge things. Right, exactly. His his tool for condemnation. And so he he's dropped his defenses um and yeah, that that flashback scene um definitely uh I think that's my last Pixar feels. <laughs> so, uh thank you for uh, uh all you listeners Pizza Planeteers for um, going through all these um, Pixar feels moments, but um, but yeah, uh, dude, I don't know, man. I, I just yeah, like I did not expect to empathize so much for Ego being kind of this like kind of antagonist in a way, um, but you see him as a child and with his mom, and he's this happy-go-lucky kid mm-hmm. who's like you know enjoying this like this this simple little meal from his mom and. 
just seen like at a very young age, like his love for food yeah, and this innocent, this innocent thing. And, um, so there's that element. There's also just the element that like Remy, like, you know, this rat, you know, made this and you know, that like, it's finally like confirmed that like, you know, he is everything that we know that he believes that like that, that Gusto, the ghost of, of Gusto, like yeah. says, and it's so beautiful. And then lastly, like, um, just showing the like the impact of like of of like art and beauty that like can have on people and how it can break down walls. There's just like there's just so much that's happening there that's just like so beautiful. And um, anyways, yeah, yeah, it's great. yeah. But uh, ego tries to thank Linguini for the meal, but Linguini corrects him. Uh, he says, "I didn't cook this." Colette comes out and tells ego that he has to wait till all of the customers are gone um, if he wants to meet the chef so then uh, everyone leaves Linguini um, comes out and shows ego Remy and his reaction is kind of a non-reaction like we don't get into a lot of the dialogue between them but you see his expression he raises his eyebrows and he's just kind of like hmm interesting Mm -hmm. and uh we, we we see Linguini explaining everything during voiceover from from Remy. Um, at the very end, we hear Ego just say "Thank you for the meal." Um, he's calm. He's not you know very. He, he he's not again. He's not reacting in a way that you would expect him to. Yeah. Um, he's like kind of mulling it over. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. It's interesting that you use that phrase. He's mulling it over. It's like he's trying to decide. Like what he what like this this is a moment in his life where his beliefs are being challenged, right? And so rather than just reacting outrageously with like accusations and like challenges, it's like, oh, like I'm just gonna you know let this happen, see what see see how my perspective is changing. He orders perspective and he gets perspective. His perspective is changing. Ah, that's pretty um, cool. Yeah, that's a good dude, Pixar man. <laughs> dude. This script I'm telling you is so tight. Um but yeah, it's just it, it's a it's a great sequence. Um but then we 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 skip ahead to a montage um, that is scored by Ego's review, um, the one that he wrote um, about the meal that he just had at Gusto's restaurant. Mm. Um, and during this montage, Linguini, Colette, and Remy are going about the rest of that night. Um, and uh, yeah, I I thought I could just go ahead and read i have the transcript of that review and Ooh. it's a, it's a pretty well written little piece here um so i thought i would read it or do you, if you wanted to read it do you want to read it no go ahead man okay yeah. so it says in many ways the work of a critic is easy we risk very little yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment Uh, We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read, but the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when critics truly risk something, and that is in the discovery and defense of the new. 
The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. The new needs friends. Last night, I experienced something new. An extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusto's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I will be returning to Gusto's soon, hungry for more. Mmm, chills. Yeah, it's so well written. Um, but yeah, then like right after that, we see that Gusto's is closed. The health inspector got out. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, like you would think things go downhill from there, but uh, you know, according to Remy's little voiceover, uh, Ego is now a small business investor uh, for a restaurant. And uh, we see that restaurant is serving to both humans and rats. Yes. Ego is at the restaurant um, in question. And um, there's this moment where Linguini, who's the waiter, um, asks Ego if he wants dessert. And I love this moment where uh, rather than responding directly back to Linguini, Ego turns to the kitchen door where he can see, he can visually make eye contact with Remy and he shouts across the restaurant, surprise me. And it's like, shows the very personal relationship that Ego has with Remy. Yeah. It's super cool. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So that um, scene suggests that all the customers are they in on it? Do you think they all know that it comes from Remy? Oh, that's a good question. I would mysterious? assume so because Remy is showing himself. But at the same time, you would think that uh, it could still be somebody like would somebody like because somebody could just wander in off the street and be like, "This is a health code violation," and then report it. So there's probably there's probably a protocol. I'm guessing where Remy only shows himself when it's safe in the yeah, restaurant for right. him to do so. Um, and then again, it's also a movie, so I don't want to overthink it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think, I think, I would guess most people probably don't know. Um, but, but Ego does, cause obviously they have the relationship. Right. Um, but, but anyways, yeah, that, that, it's such a beautiful scene. And then, and then right after that, the camera like pans out the window mm -hmm. and then we see the revealing of the name of the restaurant, which is La Ratatouille. La Ratatouille. Um, but, but yeah, so this whole end scene, I also want to point out is, uh, scored over with Le Festine, yes. which is, um, a very beautiful song we've talked about in our, uh, in our episode about Pixar soundtracks. Mm -hmm. And that, um, theme, we hear it, I think, yeah, it definitely comes throughout the film because it, the first thing we hear in the very beginning of the movie with the logos and stuff mm -hmm. is is actually the melody of La Festin. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't remember all the places it comes, but anyways, yeah, it definitely is a, a melody and using the film. And so coming back to it in the end is great. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, then, um, yeah, that that scene is just so great because it's so cool that, like, visually, like, his family and, like, the restaurant are, like, all in one, like, building. Yeah. And so it's just so cool, like, visually to see that, like, like, yeah, that, like, they've they've come together. Like Remy is made is like, has a great relationship with, um, Linguini and his dad and he's serving all of them. It's just such, such a good visual, like payoff in the end. Mm-hmm. I always hate it when movies don't like give you that, like payoff, you know, mm-hmm. there's no payoff extra needed. Everything is there for you. Um, and then, yeah. And then it ends with, uh, fiend fiend credits or, uh, or is it thin because finding Nemo, Finn. Oh, and uh, check this out. Look at the name of the last scene. En Creditui? Yeah, so so I believe it's also in the... So I have a list of the scenes here from like the DVD menu of Ratatouille. And the last scene is called En Creditui's. And uh, I believe that's also oh, the same. Oh, En Creditui. En Creditui's. End credit twoies. Um, I believe that's also the same as the last, the credit score, I believe is also called end credit twoies, which mirrors the end, end in credits from Incredibles. Oh, yeah. So clearly, also directed by Brad Bird. Yeah, it's so clearly a Brad Bird nod. Well, well, while we're talking about this, I, did we talk about on, uh, I think we talked about on the soundtrack episode how, maybe we, maybe we forgot this, but the, uh, the hundred mile dash is the name of a track in the incredible soundtrack. That is the scene where, you know, dash is running around. And then this movie has a track called the hundred rat dash, Ah, yes. which is, and these movies are both scored by Michael Giacchino. So it, I, it feels very clearly like a reference to the last Brad bird, Michael Giacchino movie. So you're probably right there that it's just, Michael Giacchino or Brad Bird, one of them must really like, you know, punny names for soundtrack tracks. Definitely a, a collab, like yeah. a reoccurring collab trick. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that, folks, is Ratatouille. And Woo. you hear that, Ben? What's that? Oh, you don't hear it. You don't have your earbuds in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I heard uh, the Pizza Pan- Planet truck uh, drive by just now. Uh, did you catch it? Um, no, I did not catch it in Ratatouille. Okay, well, I did not catch any Easter eggs in this movie, sadly, um, and I had to look them up. So um, I, I can tell you, because I looked it up on the internet, Ooh, cheat sheet. <laughs> that the Pizza Planet truck is on a bridge during Skinner's chase scene. Now, I do think I have seen it before. Okay. I've just, it's been so long, I didn't remember that's where it was. But yeah, I was on a bridge in the background during that chase scene. Nice. Um, a113, did you catch that? Oh, yeah, where is that again? So it actually appears in two places. Again, I looked this up on the internet. I'm sorry I didn't have time to pour over, over every shot of the movie because I couldn't remember where they were. Um, but yes, A113 appears um, on a train in the background of a movie scene playing on a TV oh in the background of one of the scenes um and yeah it's it's basically uh 
very hidden. And then the other time it is on the little tag. So that one beefy rat dude, he's got like a tagged ear. Oh. Um, and the tag is A113. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, but then there's a cameo. So you pointed out the Doug cameo, which I didn't know about. Well, actually, I think I did know about it, but I forgot. There's another cameo that I used to know about and forgot until I was doing research for this episode. Hmm. Do you know what other Pixar character cameos in this movie? Well, what comes after Ratatouille is Wally, I believe, right? Well, I'll give you a clue. It's not oh, wait. It's not from a future Pixar movie. Oh, yeah, then I don't know. It's a a character from a past Pixar movie who is French. The character is French. Oh, and, is it the shrimp? Find, find Nemo? Nope. It oh. is a character who is from a Brad Bird movie. Oh, it's the um the, bon uh, voyage. Yeah, he's in there, really? Yeah, so apparently he, he appears in multiple scenes, but I have seen him before. He's in he's in the background, just like random scenes in Paris. He's a mime. Oh, a mime. That's so great. Yeah. Wow. So, so those are your Easter eggs. Um, but now, Ben, I think it is time for... The Claw. What did you get out of the machine when you lowered the proverbial claw into the bath of toys that is Ratatouille? What emerged with the claw as it rose? Well, I think it was an alien, which was held on, held on to by Buzz, which was held on to by Woody. No. <laughs> no. Um, okay, Sid. <laughs> That would make you. That would make you the bad guy. Dun dun dun. No. Dun, dun, dun. Um. My gosh. Wow. Well, I'll try to keep this succinct because this is a long episode. Yeah. Um. But man, there's a lot to get out of this movie. Um. As we mentioned earlier, like, there's just a lot of deeper threads. But, um. Yeah. I. I would say for me, like, the reason why this movie used to be my number one, mm-hmm. other than it just being such a charming just excellent crafted movie, beautifully um, animated, scored. Actually, I have a note here that says, the animation and music in this movie are absolutely perfecto. Is this the most beautiful Pixar film? Question mark. Save that for later. But um, <laughs> um, So besides all that, I think the reason why I was always drawn to this film and still am is just that message that of, of, of anyone can cook and like, you know, um, egos quote that like, you know, a great artist can come from anywhere. It's just like so inspiring and it, it makes, um, I don't know. It's, it's empowering, you know, like yeah, not in a selfish way, but just out of an inspirational way. It's like, Oh wow. Like, you know, like maybe, maybe I could be good at, you know, um, you know, cinematography or maybe I could be good at storytelling or maybe I could be good at, you know, uh, music or whatever. I don't know. It's like, it's so encouraging that message. Um, I think, I think what challenged me than this viewing, I think is like learning is like more of the human, the humanizing side of the movie that like greatness can come out of anyone, regardless of like their, I mean, the obvious one is like, you know, um, like cultures and ethnicities, but like more so like people's like, it could be 
your politics or your religion or your look on morality or your um uh uh yeah just like the way that you the way that people identify and just like there's just so much in life where it's really easy to like to be like okay like like you know like others right like this these other people that i don't understand i do not agree with like you know um i it's hard for me to like humanize and i think we can all agree that like there are people or just certain people that we like look down on mm-hmm. in in the world and so i think this movie really challenged me to to like be like okay who are the, the who are the remies who are the remies yeah and um and like realizing that like no like like beauty can come from any, anywhere like we're all god's children mm-hmm. we're all brothers and sisters you know and so like yeah like i should be expecting goodness to come from all my brothers and sisters out there people who i disagree with like i should expect that like beauty and and goodness and art can come from the the uh the furthest places in the world so um i i'm I, that's a little bit like ethereal but um, it's definitely challenging me to like really humanize like like more people. So, anyways, what about you? What was your claw? So my claw <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird to say that way. Uh, what I got out of this movie. Um, <laughs> so so I, I five five things that really really hit me this time. Uh, the first is solid pacing. This movie is nearly two hours, but it is so airtight and doesn't drag for a second Uh, i really appreciated that um this is also a master class in voice acting i mentioned this earlier but i have to re-emphasize it was years before i realized that the voices in this movie were actors whose faces i actually recognized you know like there's there's so many really really good on-screen actors in this movie that are doing such a powerful performance with their voice that they just are chameleons they blend into the roles there's no and it's not necessarily because they're doing french accents i think it's genuinely because they're grasping the tone of the movie and and embodying these characters and same goes for um you know the 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 blending of of Pixar employees, Pixar's known for using a lot of actors who like, like, like people who do like the temporary voices. Cause when Pixar, before they cast a movie, you know, they'll have the crew do various voices for characters for, you know, story reels and, and whatnot. And oftentimes they will like those voices so much that they end up casting you know these crew members and this movie did the did that with multiple characters like several characters in this cast are literally just pixar employees that's so cool yeah and including one of the leads linguini so it's it's crazy to me that um yeah that this cast is that good um but yeah the um third thing is you can't tell that brad bird took over someone else's passion project which i think that fact is a reflection of how much discipline brad bird has a has as a storyteller Mm. so basically i guess what i'm saying is he was able to take a project that wasn't even his idea and he was able to put so much love and passion um, and vision into it 
um, because I think that he understands the discipline of storytelling. I think he understands the discipline of setting aside self Mm-hmm. Because you and I both know from writing stories together, like it is so tempting to be selfish when right. you are writing. Yeah. You you have your own ideas, you have your own kind of like fever dreams about like how a story is going to go. Um, like, oh, this would be crazy if this happened. And you just kind of like um, uh, have your own instincts that sometimes need to be fought. Right. Because sometimes it doesn't serve the story. And I think Brad Bird has the discipline to know, okay, like this was not my original idea. So I'm going to make this the best possible movie it can be. Right. And that might not be the movie that I would have set out to make. Right. But it's already in motion. So I'm going to make this movie that is in motion um, land in the best possible place, and he did it. Yeah, like right. he succeeded in spades, yeah. which is so impressive. Um, so yeah. the fourth thing I was going to point out: uh, this movie just exists in a sweet spot between uh, outlandish and whimsical cartoon and thoughtful and important messaging, and then masterfully crafted story. Um, like those, this is, this movie is the intersection of those three things, um, which is true for a lot of Pixar movies, but in this movie, I especially feel like it balances all three of them super well. Um, and the last thing I'll say, uh, this movie manages to be a perfect Pixar film without a distinct Pixar feels moment. That was my hot take that I wasn't going to give up on. This this oh, whole this yeah. whole episode, you've just been liberally doling out like Pixar feels moments, and I'm like, mm, I didn't think that was a Pixar feels moment when I watched it. You're kind of right, but I'm not going to concede it because I have this hot take that this movie, it feels like a Pixar movie. It has the emotions of a Pixar movie. It is the brilliance, the story, everything's there. All the pieces are in place, but there aren't specific moments that I watch this movie and want to cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that exists in other movie, other Pixar movies, there are those moments. Yeah. And so I didn't give this movie any Pixar feels moments because I feel like in this case, in this specific case, that's an achievement for the movie to still succeed on every level and there's there's not even resorting to i I don't want to call it a cheap you know like low-hanging fruit thing but like truly pixar feels moments are often manufactured by the by the writers by the directors they they want you to cry right and this movie never does that to me right it never i never feel like brad bird is like you know proverbially putting eye drops into my into my <laughs> eyes or anything like that. So Yeah. Um so I give the movie props for that. So um two peps. We got two peps ready to go. Um so now it is time to rate and rank this movie. Mm-hmm. Um Ben, would you like to go first? Sure, I can. So rating and ranking. So um Pizza slices. So I am giving this ten out of ten pizza slices. Noise. So, Noise. Yeah, this is this is again, as we said um in Finding Nemo, this is a full meal. Oh yeah. 
You know, this oh, yeah. this is a, a masterfully crafted movie. I've seen video essays calling this film um, Pixar's magnum opus. I think you could make the argument for it that it is it is absolutely a masterpiece. Um, and while it's not my number one, it is in my top five. It is number four. Ooh. So, yeah. How about you? Well, I also decided to give this movie. 10 out of 10 slices um, on the basis that there really isn't any gripes I have. Like it, it satisfies me in every area that I expect from a Pixar movie. Um, It holds up as a classic, like, like it's an old movie now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's like 15 years old. And we, we're at a point where it's, uh, you know, it, it's I've seen it enough times. I know that it it's never going to get old, and I know it's never going to um, lose its its potency. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's it's a. I think we can say it's a near perfect movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, ten out of ten slices is is easy to give. Um. Uh, especially in a. When, when we're talking about a movie about food. Ah. Hey. Um, but I also have this movie, and I did not move it. I, I will say this. After watching the movie, I looked at my list. I was like, I reassessed. Does it need to Does it need to move? Does it need to nudge up? Does it need to nudge down? I didn't move it. Um, granted, I didn't give it too much thought um, or consideration. Um, so this might change in the future. We'll see. Yeah. But. As it sits right now, it is number five. Oh, uh, number five, nice. Out of twenty-seven Pixar films, very nice. So very close to mine, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that this movie um, is is very very special to both of us. Um, very similar to earlier this season when we talked about Finding Nemo, where we were both all tens, yeah, number one. <laughs> we both like bumped our old number ones so that we could give the number one spot to Finding Nemo. But yeah, this movie uh, is also very deserving of of its high ranking. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I don't think mine moved either. I think it's been in my been in my top five number four for a while. Um, but yeah, really cool to hear that it's both in our top fives. Um, definitely a classic. Oh yeah. And if you haven't watched Ratatouille, what are you doing? Come why on. are you Why are you listening to this podcast? There yeah. were spoilers. <laughs> yeah, stop um, listening. But if you haven't watched it in a while, let us take this moment to recommend that you go back and rewatch it. Or if you have a loved one who hasn't seen it, then show it to them. Uh, it's always fun to rewatch Pixar movies when you're showing it to somebody who hasn't seen it before. Yeah, that's a very special thing. Um, yeah, I'm sure we're both looking forward to someday showing our kiddos. Uh, oh yeah, that. and um, yeah. Also, I, w- I will say we talked about this in Elemental, but there's a little bit of a, a little bit of romance here, right? There's oh, some yeah. uh, there's some rom com oh, yeah. vibes occasionally. Oh, yeah. So this could be a great uh, date night um, outing. So honestly, why was there no spinoff short film for? Uh, Linguini and Colette's like romance. Oh my gosh, that would have been a moneymaker. Pitch, pitch. Oh yeah, like you could have just made an entire short film about like their like I don't know for lack of a better word courtship and uh, have them have it like end with them like becoming official boyfriend and girlfriend like actually show on camera the moment where they're like. Like, oh, yeah, I like you. I like you, too. Like, but then actually follow it up with, like, well, like, you know, 
Um, would you would you like to be my like girlfriend or whatever? I don't know. Maybe that's an old fashioned th- thing, but like that would yeah. be that would be super cute. Yeah, or like maybe the proposal or oh yeah, you could you could go a little bit further in the future and have it be like when they get married. Or, or maybe they have kiddos and they're like the kiddos are like playing around in the kitchen while the rats are cooking or whatever. Or maybe they're <laughs> just an old couple who you know they work at a zoo and they're like trying to have kids and stuff. And uh, then one of them <laughs> works with the balloons, and the other one passes away tragically. <laughs> okay, okay. While yeah. Linguini has to yeah. fly <laughs> the the house down to South America. <laughs> You've officially maybe have a Pixar feels. No. I, I, I was going to say, this movie, you're right, Ratatouille did not make me cry either. There were moments where I was like, I could feel it coming a little bit, but but I, I never cried. So I, I will give you that, that I don't think this movie um, quite had that. Yeah, so. it never explicitly manufactured moments to make you cry. And I'm sure people did cry during this movie, but I don't think that those moments where they did are necessarily like, you know, the filmmakers weren't going out. Oh, we're going to get them with this. Right. Like, yeah, like yeah, you've yeah. got scenes in other Pixar movies where it's so on the nose, like bing bong. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You think the filmmakers didn't know that every eye in the movie theater was going to be far from dry? Like they're, yeah. you know. They're they know what they're doing at Pixar, and, and this is this is a, one of their few movies where I feel like they walked a classy balance between emotion and like you know we're gonna let people who want to cry cry, but we're not gonna make that be a manufactured moment. Yeah, well, props to Pixar for taking you know new avenues and risks. Oh yeah, you know all for service of the story, like you said. You know, like yeah. that's so cool. Um, well, before we wrap up, um, I just man, I know we're running uh, high on time, but I do have a couple of quick rapid fire questions. Okay, I'll try to answer them quickly. So yeah, we'll try to make it quickly. So um, here's a quick question: Why did Linguini's mom never tell Linguini about his dad, about Gusto? I mean, probably just because. That's a complicated family thing. I mean, I don't think that's uncommon for for moms, like single moms who who bear a child out of wedlock. I don't think it's uncommon for them to not tell their kid who their father is because it might mess with their kid emotionally. So maybe they said, oh, I, 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 like, I don't know because I'm not a single parent, but like I, I know at least from watching movies that there are a plethora of reasons right. that a person might hide that information. And that didn't really seem important to the movie. Cause that just seems so normal that like yeah. a, a child of a single mother wouldn't know who their dad is. Oh, totally. It's totally believable. I was just curious. Like, yeah, but you're right. Maybe it is just like, Oh, you know, your father, you know, left us or whatever. And I wonder if he had like a pseudo name or something that oh. willing his dad, but that's just uh conspiring there. But, um, okay. And then, um, do we know why Skinner is the head chef? Like, was he f- friends with Gusto? Like, it seemed like he wouldn't be a likable person. We don't know, but I guess I'm not super surprised. Like he runs a tight ship. I mean, he's mean, but he's professional. So, Right, but he's also doing the whole like sketchy, like um, or not sketchy, but uh, not respectable bu- like side, out, side business outsourcing Gusto's name to to business. Yeah, I yeah I I I definitely think that that happened all after Gusto died. Um, this could be a situation where he 
um, had like Gusto had no reason not to trust him when he was alive. Yeah. And then as soon as he died, his true colors came out. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah, that would have been interesting to explore like their relationship and maybe they had a falling out or something. And then, because does Skinner ever have any sort of like redemption? Well, no? we also don't even know. No, Skinner doesn't really have a redemption, I don't think. Um, but I, I don't think we even know for sure that Skinner knew Gusto personally. He could have been hired by the restaurant like that's true. after Well, although no, that's not true because you're right, he is the owner, isn't he? Cuz he or at least he Hmm, this is okay. This is this is a good question right here cuz he is hiding the will and the the letter from Linguini's mom, Skinner is. Um because he knows that if he reveals it, then the, the restaurant will become Linguini's. Yeah. Now, I guess I just assumed that he was the de facto owner, but why would he be the de facto owner if the will says otherwise? So, in other words, you're you're opening a whole can of worms <laughs> that we don't have time to get into. Yeah, that's fine, that's fine, yeah. But I do think that, that, that that's an interesting question of, like, who, who actually is the owner and why yeah before yeah. before linguini shows up that is yeah well it seemed like it seemed like skinner is the owner and that but we don't know how he got there but um yeah that that is interesting to think about it'd be curious to know more there um real quick I, I will say it is really cool knowing that we didn't say this but knowing that linguini is um is Gusto's son that makes remy's relationship with linguini that much more special because that means that I don't know what Gusto's last name is, but Gusto is his last name. Oh wait, what's his, his first name? His name is Augustus <laughs> or August Augustus <laughs> Gustus Gusto Augustus Gusto. Okay, so so a so he is literally like he's close and friends with a line of Gusto. So like Gusto was was the greatest, let's say the greatest chef, right in, in yeah. France, um, and now Remy is now like you know, close, like best friends with like his son mm-hmm. who's, who's a, who's a gusto. And so, I don't know. I, it's just, it's just worth mentioning that like, um, the serendipity of Remy arriving at the restaurant the night that Linguini showed up. Right. Yeah. That too. Yeah. It just like, yeah, it's just like, it makes like the spirit of gusto is like in his son who Remy is constantly with. So like Remy's like, you know, cooking, pulling and orchestrating a gusto like yeah. it's just it's just anyway so cool uh, okay i'm almost done um <laughs> <laughs> um do you have a favorite kitchen staff backstory because you only you only talked about i think horst one of them yeah horst okay are there any notable ones i was i was kind of hoping that you were going to read through all of them i don't know if we have time i didn't i didn't know any of them because i don't care about any <laughs> of them i only care about horst <laughs> fair enough well uh yeah, listeners, just watch the movie. Watch that scene because we don't have enough time to read through all of them, but they're all like, they're so interesting backstories. It just makes you want to talk about like what happened because they all they all went through these like crazy things, like mm-hmm. the staff members. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I don't think we have time for that, but um, yeah, watch that scene. It's pretty great. Okay, this is the last the last note. Okay, do you know the Super Carlin Bros um, theory? about Chef Gusteau. I've got it. A theory. A Pixar theory! 
I do not know uh, the Super Carlin Brothers theory. Or at least I don't off the top of my head. I might have heard it before. Okay, you should check out the video. But um, basically, the theory is that the reason why Remy can um, control um, Linguini. Linguini is because Gusto also had a tiny chef. And and so so uh Gusto um that so that that like pos- that like um genetic capacity to be controlled by hair. Yeah, it runs through the family. Okay. And I think and then I think it's also um it, yeah, and so it, it's like this this whole relationship between like that like um that like rats have this like special ability mm-hmm. to cook and so Remy's not the first rat that has like been able to like channel this like genius and so the theory is that like that Gusto I think th- the argument is that like that he actually like you know that there yeah there was a tiny chef so like that he actually wasn't the chef making everything it was this tiny chef I don't know if it goes into the theory goes into more that may- maybe he he ended up learning his own stuff but the point of the, the main point that I thought was interesting is the fact that that that, that like um genetic thing of with the with the chef was passed down right. to Linguini. So, so so maybe you explained the theory in in insufficient detail, but I don't get it. <laughs> why why is that a theory? So yeah, like there there's a lot more to it that I'm obviously not explaining well. Oh, okay. But um but yeah it, it has to do with um oh I think it's because they um in I think it's like in some of the um screenshots of the movie yeah. of uh um, of of Chef Gusto, somehow there's they were able to f- to find out. Oh, there's a there's a picture. There's a there's a screenshot of Chef Gusto with his hat and light, and you see a little shadowy figure in his hat. That's what ma- made the theory born. Is that what if there was a rat in Chef Gusto's hat? Mm. And so and then that goes on to say that they were. That's how he was able to pass down to okay. Linguini that ability. There's a lot more, but you should definitely check it out. Well. As far as you've explained it, that uh, that theory sounds a lot like Chef Gusto's hat. It's paper thin. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, viewers, if that sounds intriguing to you, go, uh, viewers, what am I saying? Listeners, Listeners uh, yeah. go check out that video um, uh, at Super Carlin Brothers. Um, well, we did it. We made it. Now, now all we got to do is go to Epcot. And order some perspective. Well, yeah, I guess we could order perspective. <laughs> that's that's at Lamplight Lounge in California. Epcot's oh, in yes. Florida, where Remy's uh, Ratatouille Adventure is. Is that what it's called? That's not what it's called. Oh yeah, but the ride. Uh, the there's a there's a trackless dark ride in Epcot um, that I have not yet been on. Dude, yeah, and it goes it goes through the the journey of um, Remy on on the uh, the floor the floor of the restaurant. Spoilers, <laughs> but no, yeah, seriously, uh, I cannot wait to ride that someday. But yeah, anyways, until then, we have the movie Ratatouille. Yes, go check it out, y'all. If you haven't seen it, if you have, watch it. It's incredible. Also, a good Bradbird movie. Um, but having said that, as we always say. Keep it in O for Onward. Because adventure is out there. To infinity and beyond. Pizza Pizza out. out.